Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. Join your hosts, Mark Zylinski, Jeremy Duval, and Rob Fanouf as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in-depth coverage of all things Kings of War. Hello and welcome to Countercharge. I'm Josh Rosato, the Rat Bastard. And I'm Ray Shields, the Rat Prince. And I'm Corey Reynolds, King Rat. And I'm Rough Enough, and as you heard, we have a cavalcade of two great players and one pretty good one. Wow. <laughs> ouch, ouch. I didn't say who it's was who, though. Talk good about you, Corey. <laughs> no, but we're very excited to be back. Uh, you would have heard our Abyssal review and our Elf review, and on that train, we're now into the Ratkin. So we're super excited to bring that to you tonight. Before we get there, let's go around the room and see what you guys have been working on in the hobby. So let's start with Josh Rosato. Well, right now, I'm, uh, I'm rounding the corner on a Twilight Kim project. I've been doing pretty much getting up to 2,000 points. I got a couple chariots left to do. What else? Two troops of gargoyles, and I'm pretty much up to 2,000. Started off as a commission for a friend, but I'm going to be playing it because it doesn't seem to have uh, lost interest in the game. So I'm like, oh, sweet. This is mine now. (laughs) Ray, how about you? What have you been working on in the hobby? Uh, I've been actually busy painting up the last couple models of Helm's Deep to make sure that all of that is prepped for Mountaineer. The Yurikai all painted, the Defenders, the Rohan, all painted, all based, all 400 models are good to go. That's awesome. So exciting. I can't wait to play at a Mountaineer. Throw it over to Corey. What have you been working on? Probably a new army, because every time I see you, it's a different army. You you are 100% right. So I'm working on a uh, Kingdoms of Men slash uh, League of Rordia army that I'm using a lot of uh, feudal Japanese miniatures from Titan Forge, some from uh, Wrath of Kings, just trying to put a bunch of different model ranges together to make that happen. So that's what I've been working on, and I am far behind where I'd like to be right now, to be honest. Do you have a, an event that you're going to debut this at? Well, I am hoping to debut this at the King of the Wall, King Beyond the Wall tournament up in Canada in the end of July. And that's Alex Kuz's event? That is Alex Kuz's event. Yes, their first year running it. Uh, I'm excited. They, it sounds like they have a, they're going to have a pretty good turnout, too. Yeah, they've got a good bunch of people already signed up. It's a good bunch of dudes. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's good to see the Canadians uh, come in to play Kings of War with us. Absolutely. This is Alex Chavez, 2018 Kings of War U.S. Masters. You're listening to Countercharge. Let's get into it. Let's start with the background. Uh, when are you going to give us kind of an overview of the army? There are two things that make Ratkin unique, uh, I, I think, in all of Kings of War, of all the armies. The first thing is that the Ratkin were created. They were created by an abyssal drawer, Bazarak the Grim, who created them to be slaves and to work in his, his forges, work for him as a, as a abyssal dwarf. And their first exposure is to him using them as warriors so that he can regain his position. So that, that's the first thing that makes rats uh, unique of all the creatures, is that they were created by another creature uh, or race within Kings of War. The second is that they subsequently proceed to rebel, to kill him, and to leave uh, the abyss. So they were slaves, but they're now they're free. And uh, that, that makes their background and their history a bit different. In the uh, Uncharted Empires, it talks about them uh, escaping from their uh, dwelling to form their own destiny and plot revenge on the wickedness that spawned them. So 
as much as they're aligned evil, to me, they always strike me as a group of good guys. They're Spartacus, and no one would ever call Spartacus evil. Oh, that's an interesting take on Rackin. Either one of you guys have anything you want to add to that? Sounds, no, I think Ray's uh, got, sounds Ray's pretty got pretty the accurate. background down. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask Josh, what's your motivation for playing Rackin? Well, that all started back in fantasy. I've always I've always had like a, a thing for Skaven. I've always liked their aesthetic and I've liked the uh, horde mentality of it. Back in the day I had a couple there were probably two or three people in our in our gaming group that were running Skaven, so I never really got a chance to. And then um when eighth edition hit, we had a lot uh, a lot less players. So that's when I kind of started my rack and army. But yeah, just basically the idea of like a giant swarm of maniacal pinky in the brain kind of uh, contraptions and, and rats was always the draw for me for sure. And laughing maniacally when you roll 13s and stuff. Corey, over to you. Why did you choose to play Rackin? Well, Rackin was the army that actually got me into miniatures wargaming way back in 5th edition, Warhammer. It was the the, the actual the model, the Vermin Lord, the original Vermin Lord model, was the one model that was like, when I saw that, I was like, this is cool. This is something I'd probably want to get into. And so from there on out, I got on eBay, started buying up all these figures. And from there, it just kind of took off. And the ironic thing is, I didn't really enjoy the play style as much uh, back in Warhammer days, like 7th, 8th edition. It was more tuned towards shooty and elite units where I was really attracted to the whole horde mentality, just throwing waves and waves of expendable bodies at somebody, which now kind of reflects in the way I play uh, Ratkin in Kings of War. And what was really the, the whole impetus for me doing this is like, this is awesome. Now I can play this army how I've always wanted to play it in Kings of War, as opposed to how you kind of were forced to play it in uh, the old Warhammer days. So for me, it's been a big boon actually having a, a Ratkin list available. And I just love the way that, that, that it functions in the Kings of War landscape. And Ray, same question to you. Why do you play Ratkin? Because Ratkin are the ultimate ranks and flanks infantry army in Kings of War. I never played it. I never played Skaven in Warhammer. Really, I read the Ratkin fluff, saw the their army saw their rules and said if i want to play an infantry army this is this is one of the armies that can do it you kind of described your army pretty well but Corey, what's your army look like so i've got a combination of a lot of the uh the old hammer models i've got like i mentioned the the original uh, vermin lord model is the kind of the centerpiece that i've got out there the original doom wheels some of the old original clan rats the old gutter metal gutter runners combined with some of the the new, the newer GW stuff like the uh, the new shock troops, the blight models, uh, weapons teams, stuff like that, and then I've got uh, some customizations that I've done for making my own claw shots out of a combination of blight models and uh, crew uh, riflemen from 40k. So kind of hodgepodge it all together to make a, a nice little looking army. Well, that's perfect for Rackin, right? I mean, they're they're like the perfect like junker, the perfect scrap builder they'll take whatever you got and they're gonna throw it in the army exactly and some of their some of their old models are just the best too they have so much character and flavor in them that's why it's like uh, i really enjoy just the modeling aspect of this army especially some of the old character metal characters you know the heroes and assassins and all and they, and they had so many of them too i mean tons of different special character models same question to you ray describe your army i, I would say my army is the uh Classic 8th edition uh, sculpts that came out towards the end with the uh, Skaven shock troops and the Blight and the Warriors. What I did is I created it and painted it while I've been down here in the States. 
so it's all winter themed to remind me of back home in Canada. So it's all snow and uh, snow covered trees and bases. And that's what I did to, to make it a bit unique and a bit different from everyone else's. I, I don't have the pinky in the brain that Josh did, uh, which looks great. Or Corey's uh, mass numbers and his orange and uh, green uh, highlight schemes. Mine are, are, are based green and winter. Well, the first time I met you, though, you were dressed up as a mad scientist running the lab formation. Yes. So if, I, if I'm running the lab formation, I'll pull out my lab coat. I'll get some coloring for my hair and I'll spray paint my hair bright green or bright blue or some color because I would not wear that to work. And then uh, go out and play with the rats because I'm going to go to have a fun time. I'm playing a mad scientist, so I don't mind being pinky or the brain. But I, I'm, I wasn't, I'm not a good enough modeler to do that effectively for my rats, which is why I really appreciate what Josh has done. Yeah, my first time I met Ray was when he was wearing the lab coat and had the, the spray-painted green hair. It was awesome. I was like, here's a man that gets into his army. Very thematic. And sometimes I'll walk around with a couple of vials of various concoctions of alcohol and proceed to drink them during the day when I'm playing the rats. So let's get into the special rules. The ratkin are evil alignment, but let's talk about this special rule, the pack mentality, which is rallying one. Rallying one is typically on most of the horde units that are in the army and some and characters will actually have rally one for the, the demon spawn itself has rally two. And so what that kind of leads you to is an army that even though it's a horde army and wants to spread out, you need to have units strategically positioned to take advantage of that plus one nerve buff. And it's a nerve buff both to the uh, waiver and route value of units within six inches of a uh, unit that has rally. And what I found is that having those units strategically moved throughout the army is important because your units are, so, are much cheaper than typical competing units in other armies because their nerve might not be as high because they have access to rally. And so I think that's kind of built into the list and the price cost of those units. Corey, I, there, there's one other unit which has rally one in the Ratkin list, and that's the Enforcer. And in each time I've played you, you've done an excellent job of moving that Enforcer with rally one to the positions where they need to be. So that's one thing else to remember, as, as Corey mentioned, where you have lower nerve than, than your compatriots or your adversaries you're fighting. But you have those those key units, the mounted enforcer that can move 18 inches, that can provide you with that rally one bubble that may make the difference in combat. And Corey has done an excellent job every time I played him having that unit in the right spot. Up next is our unit by unit breakdown. And so let's turn it over to Corey. So the first unit we've got are ton tunnel slaves. And so tunnel slaves can be bought in a regiment, a horde, or a legion. They are standard infantry. The stat line is speed 6, melee 5, no ranged, uh, defense 2, attacks 12, 24, and 30. Nerve is 12, 14 for the regiment, 19, 21 for the horde, 25, 27 for the legion. And for points, it's 60, 100, and 145. And the special rule that these guys have is yellow bellied, meaning if they roll a one, when they attempt to charge somebody, they can do nothing but hold for that turn, which can be a real uh, kick in the ass sometimes. Oh, yeah. So so for me, these guys are, it's important to note, these guys are an irregular unit. 
But to me, they're the core of the army. Again, I like to play a, a super horde style, tons of nerve, tons of unit strength. And these guys are the cheapest of the cheap unit strength that you can get on the table. They are so cheap because they have a pathetic defense. The yellow-bellied comes into play. And by themselves, their nerve is unspectacular. But then when you start getting multiple sources of rally around them, they then become a little more hardy and a good backbone for the army. And I think the way I play them, it's just tons and tons of nerves. So you have to have a lot of attacks. Every attack you have, though, if it hits, it's going to do damage against these guys. But you have to bring lots of attacks to be able to grind through them. And I think that's the key point. One of the other things that's important to note, I think, for me, is that all the infantry is base speed six. And so this army tends to be a lot faster than you typically might think. They're right on par with elves. So they can actually get around the board, get some cheesy flanks when uh, the opportunity <laughs> arises. So get, get slave hordes in the backfield kind of stuff. Yeah, they get around the board, don't they, Josh? <laughs> yes, they do. So, so that's given- my take on slaves. So anybody else got some thoughts? Corey, Josh, I have a question for both of you. How many units of slaves do you bring in your normal list? Normally I take, I usually bring three units of slaves. I mean, Corey, Corey goes nuts, but I take three units of slaves and I actually prefer the regiment size just because I find sometimes that um, the hordes can be a little easy to waver and they get in the way for some of the harder hitting elements that I, I like to take in my armies anyway. I like to keep them uh, small and cheap, and I I need them to die when the time is right for them to die. I I can't really have them blocking up my whole whole line. That irritates me. Yeah, for sure. It is tricky to maneuver with that many units on there. So typically, I'll take anywhere between five to eight units of slaves. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's a mixture of the uh, the regiments and the hordes. I don't. I've never taken a legion. Again, I'm kind of the same way as Josh. I want them to die, so I don't want that super high nerve where they're just in the way blocking everything up. I want them to die at the right time, and sometimes I will move my railing sources away from them. And I, everybody knows, I typically pay, play with one or none inspiring sources too, <laughs> I, because I do want those units to die at the right, just a matter of getting them to die at the right time. And then I guess the question is also, how do you handle yellow-bellied? Because I've played with them and I've seen games lost uh, where they failed the yellow-belly roll and can't make the objective or can't do what they need to do. So how do you factor that into your plan? I almost never declare a charge with them. Almost Same. never. Same. I, I'll, I'll move them up to chaff a unit, you know, as long as it's not nimble or flying, obviously. But you can, you can push them right in the face of something by at the double, you know, you can move right up 12, um, put them in front of that mounted sons unit. That's also why I like the regiments because they're a little more maneuverable than the, um, than the hordes, but you just push them up instead of charging. Cause yeah, you can run into some serious problems. If you declare a charge, you roll that crucial yellow belly and all your fun stuff is stuck behind that giant trash wall. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Times. And typically those attacks aren't behind you that much anyway. Uh, right. And so, I mean, and to Josh's point, the real hard part is when you have a, a combo charge where you need to get those slaves out of the way of something behind them. That's when it's just like, oh, just please don't roll that one now. So right, that exactly. A, a dangerous situation. But yeah, yeah I, I'm the same way as Josh. I usually just push them in someone's face, take the charge, and never never really charge with them. And I, to be honest with you, I have run a Legion. It was back in like, um, I think it was 20... 20- 
2017, I, I ran a legion, one legion in a list one time, and um, I put the crystal pendant on it, and it was fun. I think now with the changes to Clash of Kings and the changes to unit strength, legions have kind of, well, legions of slaves anyway, have kind of lost their uh, momentum. I feel like you can get a better anvil with other units that we'll talk about later. I agree. So no items, keep them cheap. Yep. Agreed. I could not see a, a single item that I would put, want to put on there other than the crystal pendant. Maybe. Crystal pendant is fun, though. <laughs> it is fun. It is fun, but then they become expensive. So yeah. I agree. Take a year to get through them and then boom. So I'm going to go next with warriors, which are supposed to be in the mainstay of the uh, Ratkin list. They come in regiment and horde size, speed six, melee five plus, defense four, Attacks are 12 and 25, nerve 12, 14, 19, 21, and points are 90, 155. Their special rule at the horde size is rally one. Personally, I, I have used these in a couple of tournaments, three I blink, and I've used them as part of the lab's ra lab rat formation, which I think takes this unit from being mediocre to runnable. Um, the, the main problem with them is that they cost 50% more than slaves, their uh, defense is four plus, which is the benefit, but you're paying a lot of points to have a slightly more effective uh, tar pit. I personally think that defense four plus is a lot better than defense two plus, but it's a lot of points, and, and I found that it wasn't worth it. Fun to get dressed up in a lab coat, though, and, and with your <laughs> concoctions of uh, vile sorcery to drink throughout the game, but not that effective. The lab rat formation, I'll just hit that right now, is uh, 25 points. It consists of a warrior horde, two warrior regiments, and an enforcer. And it means that each unit in the formation is granted the regeneration 5-plus rule. And with that, I, I found that they're good to go. My issue is that melee 5-plus, I, I, I wish that they were melee 4-plus, even for another 10 to 15 uh, points, make them closer to shield wall and kingdoms of men. Um, and that would make them as a viable option where you could see them a lot in, in the horde armies like Cory runs or I'd include them as well to give that mass of uh, rats. Uh, but they would have to probably be about 165 to 170 points. I have a, a couple points on this unit. I've also run lab rats, and I, I do think that's a great formation. It's, it's really, um, I mean, it's not the best formation we have, especially now, but it is a good formation. It's nice for um, uh, keeping a nice tar pit in front of maybe your weapon teams or some of your more squishy targets in the backfield. Um, one thing to note the difference between the warriors and the slaves where the warriors are more expensive. I mean, they do rally though as well. So if you need more sources of rallying, you can spend a couple extra points to get and by a couple extra. It's, it's more expensive, but you can get another point of rallying. And also, um, basically for me, I've always looked at the warrior regiments as a way to basically just put an upgrade on a slave unit if I need an unlock. So basically I need, you know, say I have three slave regiments and I need one more unlock. I'll upgrade a slave led regiment to a warrior regiment instead and use it for the same, the same exact um, purpose. And I would agree uh, using them as unlocks. So giving you, having the lad rat formation gives you a lot of unlocks that you don't normally have in a rat kin list. Yeah, I agree. And having watched Josh use these guys in the in the lab rats formation, and some people putting in a a healing caster with uh, the shroud of the saint, it does actually make for a surprisingly resilient 
little backbone, if you want to put it out there, and having multiple sources of rally nearby and some inspiring. It's actually a lot more um, sturdy than you might expect for rats. Um, my only problem is that when I look at warriors versus slaves, there's so much crushing one, thunderous two, everything rolling around out there. The difference between defense four and defense two is negligible. So that's that's my one big downside for, for that. Yeah. And that's where facing the breath weapons down here in the Mid-Atlantic, uh, I've seen the slaves get breathed off by a, a dragon in one turn because they're rolling to wound on twos, where the warriors with defense four will likely last through a breath 15 attack. I had one game where uh, John John Benaz was playing um, he was playing elves, and he skirted. I, I was still running the Slave Legion at the time, and uh, yeah, he just skirted around the Legion the whole time. He took he took it off with just the breath of his dragon in two turns, the Slave Legion. So, <laughs> yeah, that was rough. But, um, no, yeah, I, I think Warriors are okay. I, I definitely think they have a place, for sure. Especially yeah, if you can, I, you can kind of use the, uh, the Lab Rats to combo up with... Um, other the more mediocre units like uh, I was running brutes and lab rats and just having regen five plus across the board was fun. That is that it's, is a, that is a neat a, little a little more sturdy yeah. than you think. Yeah, that's an interesting point about the breath weapons too. I think uh, Clash of Kings twenty nineteen kind of helps out the slaves in that regard because a lot of stuff saw a reduction in their breath weapon stat, like the elf dragons and the ifrits of the world kind of mm-hmm. got knocked back a little bit. So I think that's another uh, sideways boon for slaves. Spear Warriors, Speed 6, Malay 5+, Defense 4+, 15-30 attacks, 12-14, 19-21 Nerve, and 60 and 100. Uh, they have Phalanx, and the Horde has Rallying 1. You guys have anything you want to mention about the Spear Warriors? I want you to open your book, and I want you to just scribble White Owl all over this unit and never look back. <laughs> Agreed. I'm fire after. A hard pass. Hard, hard pass. Hard pass. Really what it is for, you know, really what it is, is uh, I just don't want to pay the extra points for Phalanx on a unit that isn't going to survive anyway. Exactly. And those five extra attacks that are melee five are not selling it. Not selling yeah. it for me. So I've never seen them. I don't think I ever will. I actually, I put one regiment in a list one time because I ran out of regular warriors. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. There you yeah, go. <laughs> so that's all I had. I had the models for spears, so that's what I put. Excellent. That's it. I would still use them as counts as warriors. <laughs> <laughs> right. For sure. They're broken spears. Do I want to take the crowd pleaser next? Yes. Go, right. go with it. Okay, so the crowd pleaser, we're talking shock troops, people. They come in troop, regiment, and horde. They're speed six, melee four, defense four plus. They have a 911 nerve in a troop, 1315 nerve in a regiment, 2022 in a horde for 95, 135, and 230 points. For those points, you get crushing strength one, elite, vicious, and the horde gets rallying one. That right there. Is a nice unit. So, Josh, what you're saying is the elite and all the great. That's scary. Yes, they're very good. I found it's it can it can be. I almost always take these guys in the horde. Uh, the 25 attacks is just awesome. The elite and vicious really make those attacks hit home. Even without items, these guys are like yielding 10 to 12 wounds a turn. 
Um, one of their downsides is they are a little, you know, they're, they're a horde of infantry, so it is a little difficult sometimes to get them exactly where you want them, especially if you have a lot of extra trash in your list. When you do get it into that, that squishy defense four unit, you get a Bane Chan on it, the crushing strength two. Uh, if you put the brew of sharpness on it, there's tons of items that you can give these guys to really make them the primary hammer in the list. Um, I, I don't think they're necessarily one to two hordes is really good. There are some new units in the list this year that I think can do this, a similar job to shock troops. And, uh, I've been toying around with, I'm sure Ray would disagree. <laughs> He's a shock troop guy. So, but the, it's a great unit and they benefit from a lot of different items. Yeah, I think I, I mean, here, these guys are the core of the army. I mean, it would be hard to say I would take a Ratkin list without at least one of these units and most likely more. I mean, as Josh mentioned, any magic item upgrade is good on these guys, as Ray will tell you, because he takes four of them all, almost all <laughs> with magic item upgrades, and they are all great. Add extra crushing strength, add brewer sharpness, pathfinder, whatever. It all works on these guys. And I mean, I think it's the best combination of special rules. Crushing strength one, elite vicious. They have a high enough nerve by themselves that they can actually grind a bit. And then railing one for everybody nearby. They are probably like, and for all that for 230 points, it's so points efficient too. And they're fast. I mean, they're speed six, so they're fast infantry. I do have one more one more point to make on these guys real quick. With the 2022 20, nerve, it is a big nerve. They can grind a little bit, but it is worth noting that if you are not careful with these guys, they will die, and they will die very fast on you. Uh, they can't really take a charge right to the face. If you got like a, I don't know, say like a horde of fiends or something coming in, they, they really need a chaff screen, whether it's slaves or vermintide or whatever, something. They can't really take double charges really at all. Even when rallied, I found they just bl- they die in droves, but they do hit like a ton of bricks. I'm sure Ray wants to talk. Let's let Ray go to town. Yeah, right. Exactly. So as has been alluded to, this is my favorite unit in the list. And uh, as Josh mentioned, mentioned um, the shock troops can only take one hit. They can really take a hit from just about anything in the game because they have the nerve to do it but only once. So you can have the Mounted Suns hit them. You can have uh, uh, the Aloha hit them. You have whatever hit them once, but if two units hit them at the same time, they're going to die. And that's where I like to think of the shock troops as uh, an alpha strike element. I have to use my chaff. I have to use the screens to ensure that they get the charge or that I limit the enemy to only having one unit hit me at a time because in the counter charge, I should be able to kill them because these things cut throughout the units, especially when you give them uh, magical items plus Bane Chant. If you have the extra crushing strength uh, plus a Bane Chant, you're wounding defense five units on two plus, and you're just going to kill them. Um, that being said, my two favorite upgrades for these units are Pathfinder and Crushing Strength. Uh, why Pathfinder? You're running so many uh, hordes of infantry and a Ratkin list you are going to go over terrain, and you don't want these guys hindered if you can help it. Uh, and Pathfinder gives you a bit of extra speed and the ability to hit on 4+, plus even when you're charging through terrain. Um, I, ha- I began playing the Ratkin list with two hordes of shock troops, and then it went to three hordes of shock troops, 
And right now I'm toying with four hordes of shock troops. So I have definitely expanded my love of shock troops over time. That being said, I, as much as I love them, I don't think I can go above four because you need to block them. You need to provide the screens for them uh, to enable uh, the delivery of the damage that they can do. And, and that, I think, is the learning curve with this unit. Because if you just line them up, uh, other units, knights, cavalry of other armies will just hit them first and run through them because the high nerve uh, will not protect you against two units. Corey, you ran two shock troop hordes. Have you had any uh, amazing successes or, or, or feats with them? And have you seen anyone run them in regiments? Because I've often toyed with that idea. At 135 points, I think they're great value as a regiment. And that might be yeah. what I try to play with this year, is including a couple of regiments of shock troops into my army. Uh, you know, I, I haven't seen anybody run them in regiments myself. I usually run them with either two and sometimes one horde of shock troops uh, and just have them held back as that final counterpunch to deliver the coup de grace to somebody out there. Um, like you touched on, they are the most solid, the most reliable unit that we have in the army. They will, you can reliably expect them to do nine wounds a turn uh, for that. It's almost anything in the game, at least. So it's, it's awesome. And like, like you said, it's watching you run four units four hordes is just the rule of redundancy. It's okay. I've killed one, but now I still got three more. It's a scary prospect out there. <laughs> so, uh, and they are one of the few units that I think is not a melee three unit. That still is a scary combat uh, force out there because of the elite and vicious that they have. I would put this up there as arguably the best infantry in the game of Kings of War. Maybe not the best unit, but definitely the best infantry. Yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, most people would kill to have an infantry unit like this in their army. Agreed. So on that note, Corey, do you want to introduce us to one of your favorite units? Yes, I will take the Blight because they are my favorite unit in the army. So uh, Blight are yet another infantry unit in Ratkin uh, that only come in regiments and hordes. Speed 6, melee 4, defense 3 on these guys, um, nerve dash 14 for the regiment, dash 21 for the troop, uh, 15 attacks for the regiment, 30 attacks for the troop, um, 120 points for the regiment, 205 points for the horde. Uh, so these guys have special rules, ensnare, stealthy, and the horde has rallying. And so again... Like I said, these guys are my favorite unit in the army because Ensnare and Stealthy are so good. <laughs> so good as a combination. So good. Especially, especially if you have a board that has a legitimate amount of good hindering terrain on it. These guys are a fantastic anvil out there. The, the fearless aspect of their nerve is huge. They don't waver. If you're going to kill them, you got to kill them <laughs> and get all the way through them. The defense three hurts a little bit, but it doesn't hurt too bad because usually they're minus one or minus two to hit with whatever you're throwing at them. So they're there. Just take a punch and keep taking a punch. I think for me, the 30 attacks on the horde, the extra attacks are just frosting on the cake. It's great that they have it. I'm not buying them for the 30 attacks, but it's awesome that they have 30 attacks. So I'll, I'll take that in a bag of chips. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> one, of, one of my favorite things is uh, put, taking one unit with Pathfinder and then I take another unit naked. I mean, 205 points is a bargain for these guys, I think. I think anybody that's taken similar units in other armies, like Ensnarers in a Forces of Nature army or a Succubi in a Demon army, they know the value of Ensnare, right? And to have it at a Horde-level nerve and for it to be fearless, everybody would, would just love to have that in their army. And keeping a, a bank shader nearby is kind of a must because then once they get stuck in, then they can start doling out the damage. Also, hammer of measured force on these guys is really, really good, especially if you face somebody with lots of defense six in the army. It's just a little cheap boost there that makes them a real scary proposition to deal with. I can't say enough about these guys. I there's If I had more time, I would paint up another unit of these guys and have three, uh, three units of light. So, Corey, what you're saying is where I go shock troops, you go blight. Yes. I, I take trash to the even trashier. I, you know, honestly, I'm on – lately I've been on on uh, the blight team as well. And uh, at Masters, I, I my list had two hordes of blight and two hordes of shock troops. And the blight just outperformed the shock troops every single time. Just because they their survivability, they're they're able to grind a little bit more, throw a bane chant on them, like you said, uh, Corey, and and they're just murdering whatever they touch. And also at twenty five points cheaper than shock troops, they're a great alternative. I mean, I could even see taking taking an army with like three to four hordes of these guys easy. Absolutely, uh, the stealthy really helps, and like you said, the fearless is huge because. In the Ratkin list, you tend to layer. You know, you have a lot of layers. You got your your chaff in the front. You got your your fighters in the back. Um, and whatever you can do to avoid wavering and avoid stalling that swarm that you're trying to perform on your enemy, that's that's good. And uh, without with fearless, it's really really helpful. Yeah, and one thing that I find these guys are a very anti-meta um, unit in the army. Uh, with as other armies are taking. Lots of their equivalent trash armies, like Goblins or League of Rordia, anything that's just a bunch of cheap garbage troops. These guys are the counterbalance to that, because the Ensnare and the Stealthy makes those Goblin archers suck. <laughs> rabble, <laughs> rabble, rabble can't do anything to them. They can't deal with them. So if you're playing against somebody else, I mean, opposing slave units for other Ratkin yep. armies, these guys just say, yeah, sure, fine. <laughs> yeah. They're they're the great counter to all the other trash armies out there. Yep. Now, do either of you use them as regiments? Because I found a lot of success at Masters uh, with my list with a regiment of blight because everyone ignored them with the four hordes of shock troops, and then they get a flank. And as much as it's fifteen attacks regularly in the flank, it goes up to thirty. You throw bane chant on, and all of a sudden you're talking real damage and real oh, output. Yeah. Uh, so, do either of you use them as a regiment? I haven't ever used them as a regiment, but I definitely have like toyed around with lists and like, you know, and put regiments of them in lists. I just haven't played them on the table. And actually, I, I wrote a nature list actually that had allied three regiments of blights and blight in it just for the unit strength alone. Oh, and that, you know, and that nice little, you know, nerve blocks and extra attacks. Um, I think even in regiment form, they're, there's still a steal. Again, you know, the Rackin army really comes down to that rallying rule. That's that underlying thing that we just, um, you just need it everywhere. And if you can get your hordes up to 
dash 23, you know, if you have two or three hordes next to each other, you're going to want them to be able to rally each other. That's the only thing that sells the horde over the regiment for me. But I definitely think they both have a place. Yeah, I agree with you, Josh. I think, Ray, in your army, they work really well because, like you said, you have multiple other threats that people need to deal with. So more often than not, people are going to ignore the, those blights, and they're going to be able to do get into good spots to be able to do something that otherwise they wouldn't if uh, there weren't all those other shock troop threats out there. But now with Clash 2019, there's a lot of other threatening, more threatening units than just shock troops out there that we have access to, and we'll get to those uh, here in a little bit. All right, Josh, do you want to take the next unit? Since <laughs> yeah, you are the, you are the one who turned me on to these. Yes, the trendsetter, the trendsetter, four units, baby. <laughs> That's it. I, I have you to thank, Josh. <laughs> I'm the trendsetter. We're going on to one of my favorite units in the list: claw shots. Uh, speed six, melee five plus, defense four. Uh, five attacks and they got a four plus range. They got an eight ten nerve for 90 points. What do you get for that? You get long barreled rifles, which is a 36 inch range. You get piercing two and the reload special rule for five shots. Now these guys are amazing. The thing is you look at five shots and you're like, eh, that's only two damage or whatever. But if you take four troops of these guys, right? Anybody's got a dragon flying around on the board. You have a 36 inch range. You can guess what? You can put it behind your entire height, height one line and shoot that dragon with 20 piercing, piercing two shots every single turn. <laughs> I, I can't say enough good things. I, I was running two troops at first. Then I went to three. Then I went to four. Then I went back to three. I really think three troops of these guys is the magic number. It's not too many points. I was finding uh, you would always have one troop kind of in a bad spot if you were taking more than three. Um, but these guys are kind of like our mainline archer unit. Great for that consistent threat that's just going to keep raining damage. The only bummer is you're probably not going to have any rally around them, and they are only 810. So now with Blizzard running around and Lightning Bolts, they can get taken off rather easily, and that could be 90 points down the drain. But always remember, your opponent had to dedicate something to kill them. <laughs> so, And Josh, at the end of the day, they're only rats. I haven't used claw shots since my very first game, and I fought you, and apparently you learned from Josh because you now have three of those in your list. Yes, and, I, went, uh, I, did, I did go to the Church of Rosado here on these guys. And I'm noticing a trend where I went multiple uh, shock troops, you went multiple blight, and Josh went multiple claw shoots uh, shots. So we tend to be uh, uh, bringing a lot when you like something into a Ratkin list. Yeah, I, th I think because there's everything in the list is so points efficient, you can afford to double up, triple up on anything that you feel is good and contributes to the army. And I'll touch on what Josh was talking about with these guys. I, I mean, I, after seeing Josh use them, and, and Josh and I have talked a lot at length about like the merits of claw shots, and I've kind of come over to that side of the fence here on these guys because pretty much the whole army, except with the new additions to um, Clash 2019, the whole army is unit strength one. So you're almost always going to be able to see something important on your opponent's side of the table. And you're just, you're putting, it's, it gives the rats an opportunity to do something that they can't normally do, which is put pressure on the opponent from turn one, from the get-go, and make them come at you and, and come into the teeth of the horde. That's what, that's what they do. Mm -hmm. And they are phenomenal at it. And 
they're not a war machine. So nobody triples their attacks against them. So you can't send a cheesy hero out there. not going to clean them up in one turn, maybe two or three, uh, more than likely, unless they get uh, a lucky roll on the first turn of combat. So there's something you do have to dedicate something to. And they're a unit strength. They're a scoring unit. So they can sit back there and sit on that pillage token. They can contribute unit strength and control or dominate, right? Run in (laughs) the dominate circle last turn of the game. Amen. Amen. You can use them as chaff in a pinch too. Charge them up. Uh, yep. <laughs> if you don't have any good, sh- you don't have any good shooting lanes or any good targets. Yeah, they're great chaff. Just start moving them up, and they're small yep. enough that uh, they'll die and get out of the way just in time. So they are multi-purpose, and they fit every role you want them to in a Ratkin army. They're like a, a perfect complementary unit in, in a Ratkin army. So I, I have two questions for both of you. One, do you, do you use them with any magical item? And my second question is, I've had issues with control. Uh, does this unit, do you like this unit better than an artillery piece to help you in those type of scenarios? Certainly in any unit strength scenario, these guys beat out any of our, our artillery. Uh, minus maybe weapon teams. I love weapon teams. But, right. uh, but yeah, I mean... They're just they're they're just really good. <laughs> yeah, I mean anywhere because there's something that you can leave behind and contest right. have a contesting unit strength in those scenarios like control or occupy or pillage where you just want to set something back and forget about it. There's still a threat from anywhere on the table, and somebody's got to go deal with them. And most, well, I don't know the way I play them as a horde army. Most people don't have enough units to dedicate somebody just to go back and kill that little unit strength one unit in the backfield. It's it, it's an undertaking to do that. Now, what about the magical items? I can't think oh. of any I'd give them. The only one I've I've put on these, and just because I had the spare points, was I put the piercing arrow on a troop one time. Right. Uh, 10 points, you know, I mean, if you want to throw fire oil on it, why not? I mean, it's already piercing too. So even that doesn't really help you all that much, but, um, yeah, another, another cool thing you can do with them. When I was taking four, what I would do is I would, I would deploy all four units and uh, essentially pass deployment for four turns. That was funny. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do the same thing. I typically put them down somewhere where I want the opponent not to put their dragon. <laughs> right, and exactly. Just, and then you just go pass. You're up. You're up. You're yep. up. And typically with this many drops, the opponent's like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, right. Cool. He's going to see my whole strategy. I have said that when I played your Corey. <laughs> That's true. So I, I guess I'll take us into scurriers, which are similar but different to claw shots. They only come in a troop, speed six, melee five, range four, defense three, eight attacks, nine eleven for ninety points. They're nimble throwing weapons and vicious, and you can swap the throwing weapons for light crossbows for twenty points. Uh, the formation they have is the dust crawlers formation. Uh, it's twenty points, and it consists of three scurrier troops and one assassin. I've tried scurriers as individual troops, and, and they've been fun to play with. I just haven't tried them in this formation. It looks like a lot of points to invest. Have either of you uh, seen these used in the formation or tried them in an army? So the formation intrigues me enough that I've actually painted up three troops of uh, old gutter runners to try and run this formation at some point. I haven't put it on the table yet. I I, I like the idea of nimble um, assassins running around with throwing weapons and crossbows on the table. I think it could be workable, but I have I just haven't done it yet. 
I personally have never run scurriers. I have the models from, you know, from eighth edition fantasy. Um, I've always looked at them and all I see is chap, right? Where you get a couple shots. Sure. That's cool. I mean, I'm talking without the formation. I've always seen them as chaff and I just think for 90 points, I can have, you know, a claw shot, a weapon team, um, you know, a slave regiment and an item, a warrior regiment. If I need an unlock, I just, I just don't see what really is the selling point for these guys, to be honest. And the formation look, while it looks fun, right. I, I really don't know. Again, I look at that and that's a chaff formation. Like I don't see that being my bread and butter game-winning formation. And for me, you want to throw those units away. I mean, that's 500 points in chaff. I'd much rather spend 180 points on three slave regiments and call it a day would be my assessment. I think there, I jumped there are the better gun. units. I, exactly. I think I jumped the gun. The formation does give you Vanguard and Stealthy. Mm-hmm. I wish that the Scurriers had Stealthy uh, base within their 90 points. It would make me... Uh, consider taking one or two, but taking three, like you said, is a lot of points. Yeah, I, f- I feel like the the upgrade for upgrade to crossbows is a little too expensive on these guys too. I mean, throw, throwing weapons in general, I don't rate very well, especially with a low nerve unit like that. So it's just screaming for them to die. So I feel like it's kind of crossbows or nothing, and they're a little too expensive with the crossbow. Corey, do you want to take us into brutes? In all honesty, this is a unit I have. Only put on the table once, but uh, so they are large infantry. You can take them in regiments and hordes. Speed 6, melee 4, defense 4, attacks 9 and 18, nerve 10, 13, or 13, 16 for 115 points or 185 points. As special rules, they have crushing strength 2, fury, regen 5, and the horde, like all other hordes, has rallying one. These guys just kind of play in a middle ground for me where they're like, okay, it's a cheap hit unit that just doesn't hit enough because of the melee four. Or it's a unit with regen five plus, but it's got a low defense of four plus and not enough nerve to take advantage of the regen over the course of time. I think they're okay, but I just don't find them to be good enough that they warrant being in the list. And I first started, I actually have a unit of these guys painted up. They're actually one of my, my favorite painted units in the army. And I ended up turning them into an allied unit of guardian brutes because <laughs> guardian brutes were just, were just better and did all the same things I wanted the regular brutes to do. I've run these guys quite a bit. So I'm going to, I'm going to take the stage here for a second. I think they're a really point sufficient unit. I think for 185 points, you're getting a good bargain. You get them up to 15, 18 relatively easily because of that small footprint. It's easy to get enough rally around them. The other thing I really like about them is they got they have a small footprint as well. So they can kind of wedge themselves in and rally more things than normal hordes could. Uh, I had a lot of success running a shock troop horde flanked by two units of brutes. I really liked it. I think that for you know, they are cheap. They're cheap enough that if you put the brew of courage on one and the staying stone on another, their nerve starts looking much better. And you know, you're getting up to a what would it be? It would be a 1619 with the brew of courage. Um, and then you know, they take a couple shots, they get their regen going. 
if they waver in combat, they got Fury to go back in. So alone, they're good for six to seven damage. You put a you put a Bane Chan on them. You're up to eight nine damage plus the brutal. You can get ten out of these guys pretty good, and for a cheap amount of points, I think two to three hordes is 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 more than feasible. And um, there are better things in the list, but I have two really awesome looking hordes that I like to use. So um, I, I played with them a lot in place of um you know some of the double shock troop or or double blight and i was doing okay i think they're really good for their points to be honest josh i wouldn't go two to three hordes of brutes uh i have used one to two hordes and, and like you said they have a place they have yeah. small footprint uh they do do the damage output the can openers they work really well synergize with the uh, blight mm-hmm. i found because the blight doesn't have the crushing strength so if you hit somebody who has high defense the brutes can come in if you hit somebody who has lots of nerve, the, the blight do work. Um, so, so my list with one to two hordes of brutes have done well, and, and I like them. Uh, I, I think using the Brew of Courage is definitely a key item for them. So I, I'm, not, I'm not fully in your boat, but I, I'm <laughs> not saying that these are ones to leave behind. I've mm-hmm. never used them as a regiment, though. I don't know if anyone has... Yeah, I think that rallying one is a is a big deal for them. That being able to rally your characters, your weapon teams in a small bubble like that is helpful. Being able to just wedge it in there. Yeah, as much as as much as I'm like on the fence of these guys leaning towards not a fan, this this unit to me is a great example of good points costing by the rules committee because at 185 points. It's a discussion. They've got enough special rules and they fill a role where it's like, okay, they're not great, but they're cheap enough that eh, it's appropriate. So I think it's a well-designed, well-priced unit. I mean, you get them in a flank and they're going to roll stuff. That's the thing. And, and with the small, with the small footprint in the Ratkin army, it's, it's easy to get them into flanks because things are all bogged down by your bigger hordes. Yeah, and I think you're right about that, Josh. It's something I kind of discounted was just that that small footprint and height two being able to see over other stuff. You can get into areas that others can't. So that's yep. a good point. I think I'll have to pull these guys back out of retirement and put them back in my list. <laughs> there you go. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> to cheer for the bad units. <laughs> just nothing but claw shots and rat ogres. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Vermintide is a monstrous infantry unit. They are speed six, melee five, no ranged attack, defense three plus, uh, nine and 18 attacks in regiment and horde, uh, nine, 11, and 12, 14 nerve uh, for 60 and 90 points uh, in regiment and horde. They come with height zero, nimble, and they're vicious. Nice little chaff unit. The nimble makes a big difference. I actually, I think the nimble and the small footprint of this unit uh, makes me double think slave regiments most of the time. The only thing now is that they're only unit strength one compared to the slave of unit strength two. Right. I think that's the discussion now. The nimble does make it much easier to coordinate your counterattacks, right? And yep. set them up as chaff. So that versus the unit strength of the slave. So it's really, I think that's your discussion point because they're both irregular too. Mm-hmm. For me, the issue was the change to height zero. Uh, previously, height zero would give you protection against height three shooting because they would count as height one when chariots tried to shoot your hordes that were behind. And now height zero does not provide protection against chariots. 
And with the uh, kin chariots that Josh is uh, painting up, <laughs> I need protection for my hordes. And uh, the Vermintide don't do that anymore. So I, I have found that I used to have two regiments of Vermintide in every list I made. And I've now gotten rid of them uh, over time because they don't give me the protection against enemy shooting that I need. It's a fair point. I agree. So I think uh, they're good at what they do. I think it's just a matter of what you want in your army. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And again, I, th- I think this is a, an excellent example of a well-costed unit. Uh, it's definitely a debate uh, as to whether or not a regiment of slaves or a regiment of Vermintide is better. Uh, they're an excellent screening tool for the Rat Ogres if you want to uh, mix the two up. Or sorry, the Brutes. Um, so they definitely have a place in the army. They're definitely well-costed. It's just which one suits your needs and suits the meta. Yeah, I mean, uh, just a regiment of these guys sitting in front of a couple of breath weapons team. That's annoying as hell. All right, shall we move on to the first of the Clash 2019 units? Ray, do you want to take the first one? Sure, I'll take the first one. We have uh, Nightmares, speed 6, melee 4, defense 5, 9 attacks, 11, 13 nerve, and 150 points. At a horde, they go up to 18 attacks, and the nerve increases to 14, 16 for 235. Uh, their special rules is that they have breath, nine attacks for the regiment, 18 for the horde, CS1, uh, they're vicious in melee only, and the horde has rallying one. So they're very much akin to boomers in the ogre list, and I, I think they bring something interesting and different to the ratkin list that we didn't previously have and give us the option for even more breath weapons. And you can put these in and you can put your weapons teams and, and bring a disgusting amount of uh, breath attacks <laughs> to a list. These are large infantry, so they're height two, so they can see over uh, slaves if you want to put slaves in front of warriors or, or anything else uh, providing protection to them. I have not used them yet. I don't know if either of you have. I have not, but I like the idea of them. I'm Always a big fan of any units that are multi-purpose, so like chariots or anything that can shoot and fight both adequately well, I'm a big fan of. Same with boomers and the ogre army. So I, I like the addition of a, a breath weapon unit that also can fight here. It makes sense. Um, it's a good way to for Mantic to bring in some of their own model range with the vermin nightmares. I like those models. actually really cool, so I think it's it's a good fit in this army. Um, Play-wise, defense 5 is really good. I like the fact that the nerve is tightened up between the... You only have the two the two gap between wavering and routing versus the three gap on the regular brutes. So I like that as well. I could definitely see these guys being a core. And they unlock. So I can see these guys actually... You could make a list with these as like two or three hordes of these as the core of your army. I think that'd do really well. I have not used that yet myself. I tend to agree. They're they're okay. I just when I look at them and I look at the rest of the list, I just that two thirty five price tag is pretty steep. Honestly, I kind of wish that I wasn't paying for defense five on this unit just to get a little bit of a discount on just the the breath alone. But that's my opinion. Oh, I, I, I think, think they're okay. I think they're a little yeah, think- expensive. Yeah, I think that's the theme of the Ratkin army. Is like I'd I'd rather something be worse at something and be cheaper, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. I could totally see spending too many points on these guys and um and not having the bodies you need to win the fight at the yeah. end. Yeah. 
I agree. You don't, it's a bunch of average to below average troops is typically what your Ratkin army should look like. Right. I, I will humbly beg to differ, but I think this is also one of those units which could benefit from uh, artifacts that you want to put on it, whether or not it's Brew of Courage or Piercing or uh, Extra Speed to get you up to speed 7. I think at 235, you're getting into the pricey range. I'm not sure for a CS1 unit that's necessarily where you want to be. Yeah, I mean, these, these guys were definitely designed with the fact that um, we have easy access to Bane Chant 3 casters in the army. So that's why I'm pretty sure that's why they don't have piercing on their breath weapon attacks already because mm-hmm. of that Bane Chant 3 existing. So I think this one's costed with that Bane Chant 3 guy in mind. Yeah, because that could get really, really nasty really quick. Exactly. You could easily have a piercing 2 breath weapon unit out there. Mm-hmm. But I will note that the new additions, the new units, the Nightmares and the Tunnel Runners, are the only regular units that you can get in the Ratkin list that are Defense 5. Right. So. Which which is a big deal. It is. It really is. Tunnel Runners are a large cavalry unit in Regiments and Hordes. Uh, they are Speed 8, Melee 4, Defense 5. Um, 12 and 24 attacks, which is awesome. Uh, Nerve 11, 13 for the regiment, 14, 16 for the horde. Uh, Points are 135 and 215. And special rules are Thunder's Charge 1, Crushing Strength 1, and the horde has rallying. And again, these guys do unlock other items, so they are great in that regard. And they also have a formation based around them, which is Turbo Runners, uh, for a cost of 30 points, you take two uh, Tunnel Runner Hordes and a single Night Terror, and then that gives each of the Tunnel Runners Fury, and the Night Terror gets Rallying 1 in this in this uh, formation, which I think the formation I rate, it's really good. Um, for me, I think that's the thing that the Ratkin list has always lacked, is a fast hammer. I think everybody probably knows that I typically take some kind of allied contingent in there, whether it be Mounted Suns or Guardian Brutes in a Stampede, something that's fast enough that can come in from the flanks and deliver a hammer blow once you've engaged with all the slaves and the shock troops and the blight. And these guys are now a native unit in the army that fills that role. And on top of that, instead of being a regiment, it's a horde. So it contributes even more to the unit strength, and it's still it's cheaper than most other things in that uh, regard. At 215 points, I think these guys are a steal for what they do and just kind of contribute more to the theme of these guys are average bodies, but they still perform a role, and they are well cheaper than uh, other, other, other equivalent units because maybe their, their nerve is lower. They are melee four instead of melee three, something like that, or don't have enough. They only have thunderous charge one instead of thunderous charge two. So I like these guys. Uh, I would almost always bring one with the uh, with the pathfinder on them because being large cavalry, they're almost always going to be hindered. Yeah, I, when I picked up twenty nineteen and I started flipping through the rat thing, these guys popped out at me immediately. These were the standout to me. Um, I think they're really points efficient. I think. Uh, I think the formation is great. Fury's a great special rule for them. That 14-16 nerve seem, doesn't seem like that much, but again, you do the staying stone, brew, brew courage on either one of them. You know, that nerve gets a little bit better with Rally 2 kicking around. The Night Terrors combo really well with them, and I, I think they hit 
decently hard for what they do uh, and the amount of points that they do competing for with some of our infantry hordes. I could totally see uh, doing a fast and speedy rat list with, you know, three to four hordes of these guys. Um, yeah, I kind of I kind of like that thought with these yeah. guys. Hack paws, a yeah. demon spawn, some well, that was like, and night terrors. You know, I like yeah. that idea. That was uh, that was the first list I wrote in 2019. I picked up my book and I'm like, oh man. So it was it was like four hordes of the tunnel runners, uh, some hack paw chaff, and three three night terrors, and um, you know, a demon spawn. You can you can really do some cool new builds that can still be pretty effective, especially when it comes to unit strength and things like that now, which is really exciting. I got three three units of these guys on my paint table right now, so... <laughs> yeah, I agree. I like these guys because they do offer like a completely different style of play if you want to, because they are core, they unlock, they're hordes, so they provide rally. I was like, you can actually do a fast alpha strikey list in Ratcan Army that you typically wouldn't have been able to do before. So I like that it introduces a different play style. Mm-hmm. Are you planning on bringing these into a future army, future Rackin army? So here's the downside. This is the one negative of this unit. You cannot get the Mantic models for these guys. I have been waiting for them to get back in the Mantic store since the release of Class 2019. It's just, <laughs> they, they're just not available. I don't know what's going on. It's it's killing me because I, I want to buy the Mantic models because I... I think it's a good idea for man to introduce units in the game that they have models for. I, that's a great idea. I actually do like the models, the vermin models for these guys. So I want to buy them and I want to put them in the army. They just haven't been available on the Mantic store yet. They got three boxes of them over here, Corey. Oh, uh, you must have, you, you probably jumped on the everything that was left. I did the I was, night terrors too. I had my game store order them as soon as I got the book. Yep. So I was I was too slow. So now yeah. <laughs> Haven't been able to get them yet, so wait for them to get back in stock. Yeah. Because they do, they do fit. I mean, like, like I said, I right now I have two uh, regiments of mounted sons. I could easily slot in two units of these guys and an enforcer and be very happy. And get your extra rallies in there too. Amen. And you have and points to spare. I could get to that magic unit strength thirty-five ah, <laughs> that he's been trying to get to all year. <laughs> so I guess I'll take the uh, the companion to the uh, tunnel runners, the off-maligned hackpaws that did not see use prior to 2019, but may now have a place. They come in troop and regiment size. They're speed nine, melee four, defense three, attacks are eight and 16, nerves 10, 12, 13, 15 for the regiment, and they're 95 points for the troop and 145 for the regiment. The special rules are that they're nimble, thunderous charge one, and vicious. I think that they're excellent like cavalry. I think they have lots of attacks. They hit with TC1, vicious, they're fast, they're nimble. It's just prior to 2019, what would you put these guys with other than the demon spawn? Um, So I I didn't see them in use, and I I didn't see a a good way to use them because you couldn't make an army out of hack paws. But now in concert with the tunnel runners and with the turbo runner formation, I think they have a place. I, I think they can be excellent chaff to to screen their way and to make sure that the uh, hordes of uh, tunnel runners hit home. That's just the way I see it uh, coming about. Josh, uh, yeah, are you including them in your your massive uh, fast rod <laughs> army that's coming about? Yeah, I um, yes, I I took 
I think I took two to three troops of these guys just as chaff. Cause you know, uh, slave regiments, you, if you're going that fast route and you're going to use your tunnel runners and your turbo runners and all that stuff, yeah, slave regiments aren't going to really cut it. They're going to, they're going to bog things down more than you, you really want to use that speed to your advantage. So having the speed nine on the troops of hack paws and the nimble, they'll be able to get out of the way when they need to, they'll be able to block up charges that they need to essentially just being like little hitty, good flanking beast packs really that was kind of my thought on it yeah like you said ray i don't every time i've played somebody that usually was using hack paws before class 2019 they always died they didn't really seem to have a good role in the army because they outpaced everything uh they were just kind of out of place so i never saw a good use for them now i think with the with the town runners and night terrors i think they do have a place because they're more a core of your army they can move and keep pace I think even like two regiments alongside two regiments alongside something like, you know, three hordes or something. Sure. Could also be yep. good. Yeah. I, I love the, uh, the idea of the small medium cab units that are nimble, typically TC one. These guys have vicious to boot. So, and high speed, speed nine. So, and they're 145 points. I really like them. And then their nerve should be bumped up by the adjacent hordes of tunnel runners in that style of a list. So actually I think these guys will see, some play as people start getting tunnel runners onto the table more and try to go for that style. And I think that they are well, well costed, excellent. I'd put them at like medium cavalry, light, medium cavalry. Uh, I'm not complaining about the points. I'm not complaining about what they do. They just didn't have a place in my army before this. Yep. I agree. And now they I do agree. And now they do. <laughs> but who would like to take up weapons teams, which have a place in every rack? Ooh, in ooh, ooh. I'll ooh, take ooh. it. So weapons teams. Here we go. This is where we get into the, the pinky in the brain kind of stuff. Uh, speed six. They got defense four. They don't have any attacks, but they do have breath 10. Uh, they have an A10 nerve and they're 60 points. They're nimble. Like I said, you get breath 10 for, uh, for 20 points. You can upgrade them to have piercing one. Uh, they are war engine, so no scoring. But, oh, these guys are so good. So good. Mandatory three in every single list. I write, anyway. I think 30 breath with piercing one just melts anything that tries to get in your backfield. There's a lot of really tricky stuff you can do with, like, sidestepping your weapon teams from behind your hordes to shoot at targets, to clear chaff. I just love these guys. I think they, they make their points back every single game I play. The nimble's key. It, it's something that takes a lot of people by surprise. Just the fact that they can have two turns and they're six inches of movement means that they have a lot of flexibility. I don't take Storm of Lead for the piercing one on my weapons teams. Uh, it's a bit of heresy to say on a Ratkin list. I do like having three weapons teams, but to me, their value is being cheap 60-point chaff units that can <laughs> go in front of my line and clear the opposing chaff. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think I think either way you take them, I think they're very fairly costed and efficient. I personally just like the piercing because there is a lot of uh, you know, if you have a lot of chaff, that's you know, defense three, you know, wounding them on twos instead, just melt that stuff, get that stuff right out of the way. That's my take. I've tried lists with and without these guys. Like when I was starting, I always had three in my Rackin list, and then I kind of swapped them out for claw shots. And now I'm at the point where I was like, I want three of both. <laughs> I want yeah. shots and I want breath weapons. Uh, I think the breath weapon teams, especially in a horde, 
army fulfill a vital role where it's that backfield protection because the worst thing you can have is a dragon or other some kind of heavy flyer get around to a flank and then get behind your army these guys with the piercing upgrade are the ultimate deterrent for that so they they fulfill a critical role for me in that respect protect the backfield for sure i was i was running them alongside a warlock with blood boil as well just Mm -hmm. really make things suck for anything that tries to get behind me right because that's the weakness of the army right you're pushing up with all these hordes if some somebody gets behind you then all of a sudden they have a multitude of targets that they can get at and it starts making working you working through you so these guys i think are critical in that regard and i like having the combination with them and the claw shots in there to keep the pressure on for sure and and one other fun fun fact you can only take three weapon teams but what you can do is also just take you know your swarm crier with the breath weapon and run him with them too (laughs) so now you have 40 breath and a blood boil no one's gonna try to get back believe me yeah it's it's a good little circle of death that you can project (laughs) right there i run it all the time and these guys because they're not individuals are great chaff too. Sometimes you just, oh, I got to stick somebody out there. I'm nimble. Yep. I can scoot over there when end, in the end game, I don't need, they're not scoring, so I don't need them for that. They can get out there and block somebody up just fine and dandy. The one thing that people tend to forget, and I've seen, I, got, I caught myself with this one time early on is because they're war machines, they can't go over obstacles. <laughs> you forget yes. about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. You can screw yourself if you deploy them in front of an obstacle. Then you're yep. just like, so oh, I've, yeah. I've done that. I was like, oh, I'm going to set these guys right here. Yep. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's all right. They'll, they'll get in three turns later than I wanted them to. No problem. <laughs> and yep. the other key is the enemy triples their attacks against them. And because they only have nerve 810, they're going to die. Right. So if you're putting them in front of something, it's probably because you want them to die and buy you that turn. And when the regiment triples to 36 attacks, it doesn't take much to go through. It's just three of them for 80 points apiece is 240 points that you're putting into uh, weapons teams. And I I could just never bring myself to to put that many (laughs) points there. It's so good, though. (laughs) Yeah, see, these guys are typically like very one of the very few non-scoring units in my army so right i i'm not too concerned about giving up the scoring aspect there because right. everything else in the army scores and these but that's guys also do why we when we talk about the next two units we talk about why claw shots are better correct 100 percent right but so I, I will note that as much as i like my elite rats with my shock troops i like my weapons teams and my all my other units cheap and I, I think you guys like a bit more of the other units, which are cheaper, the Blight and so on. But then you want your weapons teams more expensive. So just yep. how we make the points to, to play the list that we do. And, and, and it speaks to the flexibility of the list, right? You can do it in different ways. Absolutely. I just love having so, that, that 40 breath. It is gruesome. Again, with everything being height one in the army, you can just stack these guys up behind hordes of something and just start... Right. Breathing over into the enemy units. Oh, you look at those nice ogres you got over <laughs> there. That was be a shame if something were to happen to them. Fun trick to do is to put them behind, you know, a slave horde or uh, you know, a shock troop horde or something, and just wait for that horde to die, and then just laugh as your opponent now takes forty breath to the face after grinding yep. with the shock troops for two turns. So it's yeah, it's good times. Yeah, and it's it's kind of it's easier than you think to protect these guys with 
all those bodies, right? Because you kind yeah. of just butt up against everything. Nobody can charge in the facing that they need to get to. So they're they're actually surprisingly easy to keep protected because they want to be right there with the core of the army. Now, I will say in 2019, what you're going to want to look out for is Blizzard Wizard. He'll kill those yeah. guys real quick, and you'll lose 240 points. So if you can, try to snipe that guy with Lightning Bolt as fast as you can. Yes, the Blizzard Wizard is a thing. <laughs> he's, he's out there, and he is, he's hunting claw shots and, he and weapons teams. hunting claw shots and weapons teams. He's like collecting trophies. Who wants to do the Shredder and the Artillery? Yeah, so I'll take those because uh, they're basically the same, and I don't think very many people use them, so I'll kind of combine these into one. Both are artillery pieces. They are war machines, so they have a 48-inch range. The, I don't think the stats really matter. They're all speed 6, uh, range 5, defense 4+, plus, nerve 810. They both cost 90 points. Uh, the Shredder has three attacks with blast D3, piercing 2, and reload. Uh, the artillery has two attacks, with Blast D3 plus one, it's only piercing one, also has reload, but it has indirect fire and vicious. So when I look at the two of these, I can never see a reason that I would take the Shredder, because even though you lose a point of piercing, you gain plus one hit, you gain indirect fire, so you never suffer cover penalties, and you gain vicious. So I can never see a reason that I would take the Shredder, again, but I, can see, I can't see a reason to take either of these, because Claw Shots score they're not war machines and they do essentially uh, deliver essentially the same amount of damage suffering 12 inch less range Um, i think that's really the problem right Corey? is that we have three units in this list that are all 90 points so they're evenly pointed and if you really start like getting into like the the you know the the minutia of like how the vicious and the blast E3 all works out really the shredder and the artillery are really close to the same damage output. If you then compare them to claw shots, they're really close to the same damage output as claw shots and claw shots e- even have just a little bit more of an edge in damage output. Yeah. So the ma- the, the man just favors point, the claw shots, right? For so the same it, amount of points, you put the unit strength on the table. You have another troop that can block up stuff and not take times three attacks. It's just, I think the existence of claw shots just makes these two units in particular a non-choice in this list. 100% agree. Having done the math, claw shots are the most efficient for shooting shredder and then artillery. The shredder is actually slightly more efficient than artillery, but I I would never take a shredder or or artillery because, as you mentioned, Josh, you're bringing me around to the uh, church of... uh, Claw shots. <laughs> the Church of, of Claw Shots, yes. I like that. I, I think with the hard pass from all of us on the two artillery pieces, I'll bring up the Mutant Rat Fiend, unless anyone has anything else to add on the... Uh... Don't take them. Take Claw Shots instead. Unless you have a really That's cool, true. nicely painted model, then do it. Then just make them a unit filler in your Claw Shots. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Then just make it a Claw Shot anyway. That's right. right. <laughs> if you got like rattling guns just use those as claw shots <laughs> just use them as claw shots <laughs> that's awesome alright Ray why don't you take the mutant rat fiend uh, the mutant rat fiend is speed 7 melee 4 defense 4 with 10 attacks nerve of 17 and 200 points it has CS2 regen 5 strider TC1 and vicious uh, I've used them twice but I, ha- I haven't had a lot of success, maybe because I was only using one. And it sounds like whenever you're using a giant-sized creature, you should use more than one. 
but I guess that's that's been my experience to date is used individually. I've been not inspired because the defense for uh, with uh, nerve dash 17 dash 19, uh, the enemy can get through that, which doesn't give time for your regen to work. Whereas if you had a couple of mutant rat fiends, I could see uh, overwhelming the enemy's options to concentrate fire on one and maybe getting some benefits. It would be cool to do a mutant rat fiend brute and lab rat formation to have a whole ton of regen five plus. Lab thirteen. Like- <laughs> that's it. That would be a good theme right there. I like that. That's it. I want to like this guy. I have. I mean, I have two of them sitting around that I've used the uh, Necromunda caller model for, and I really like the model. And I think they they work could work really well on the army for the same reason that the brutes do, right? Because they're a small footprint. They can get flanks maybe a little easier when you start getting your hordes engaged. So I think there's a place for them. I haven't I haven't taken them in my armies because, again, same reason, defense four, lowish nerve. You might not even get a chance to use that regen. But I did stick one in my uh, ringer list for Crossroads last year, and it, uh, nobody ever sees it. So they're all like, this guy is bullshit. <laughs> every opponent that was playing yeah. against it and maybe there's something to it i've run this guy just one in a list a couple times i really actually like this unit because it gives i like that speed seven uh it's mm-hmm. probably going to be in your main line he's really good in between like the center of your lines because he can squeeze between the hordes and all the units just kind of missile right out there at the right time so i actually I do like him in that role and i think he can be a, a good unit to add in there it's just there are a lot of other good units, too. I like that Speed 7. He's a nice little monster. I think the reason that um, you don't see him too much is because, just like me, a lot of people probably use the Hell Pit Abomination from 8th Edition. And that guy, for me, is on a 60 by what, 150 base or something. That rectangular base just isn't as good as the square base. I think if you had two of these guys on 50 by 50s, you could do some work with them, get in some nice flanks and stuff. I think they're not too bad. I agree. A perfectly average unit for a perfectly average army. Yeah. But what's not average is the next unit. You are not wrong. So, the Death Engines. So, these are a monster as well. Uh, speed 6, melee 4, defense 5 plus, uh, attacks D6 plus 7, nerve is a dash 16, and that's for a bargain of 170 points. Uh, the special rules are crushing strength one, thunder's charge one, and rallying one, which is awesome. Um, and they have two options. You can buy one or the other. Um, option one is bloody carnage, which makes it more of a uh, melee beast with, with uh, crushing strength two and vicious. And that's for 25 points. Um, the other option is the more popular option. It is vile sorcery for 40 points. And that is a ranged 18 Ranged four attack with piercing two, but that drops your defense down to a four plus. I have taken this, and usually I take it in pairs uh, because having two of these guys focusing shooting on something is usually a death sentence for whatever it's shooting at. Uh, The height four, the fact that you can hide it behind hordes and regiments and still suffer no penalties for shooting over it is pretty amazing. Uh, the addition of rallying, being able to rally all your troops nearby, it's good. Um, the modeling opportunities for things like the Screaming Bell or the Plague Furnace or a Doom Wheel, um, it's, a, it's a great representation of that in the game. 
So these guys, I've seen some people take three of these and just make a little circle of death with death engines and uh, weapons teams, just like a, a whole no-go zone. <laughs> and the, the fact that these guys are monsters means they score as well. And they're, the fearless nerve is high enough that you know it'll stick around even if it gets charged, even if you take the, the vile sorcery upgrade, lowering its defense to four. If you can limit what's charging it, it'll still be there. And it still hits pretty decently, too, with melee four, crushing strength one, and thunderous charge one. So if you can get a flank with this guy, it's like, oh, that's pretty good, too. So yeah. he's, a, he's a great all-around unit. They they are good. I've taken them in pairs for. Sh- they definitely can decimate things. The only problem with these guys for me is just the unreliability of their shooting. Sometimes, like eight shots is still good, but is it like two hundred and forty points good? You know, I just feel like I've rolled uh, my fair share of ones when I really needed a good shooting turn from them, and uh, they just kind of fart out on me sometimes. I think you could really do. A super good heavy shooting list with these guys and now a couple of units of nightmares and some weapons teams and some claw shots you can make a very shooty heavy uh ratkin list that is mm-hmm. pretty devastating yep so as somebody who's never taken a death engine how do you guys handle the 18 inch range because i fought against them before and that that to me has always been their limiting factors that they can only go so far with their shooting I think that's kind of the balancing factor, right? Is that okay? They are they do have high quality attacks, but they can't. They they're usually moving up to get there, so they're suffering a minus one for that. Um, Eighteen inch range is a struggle. So unless you've got something between you and your target, you're most likely going to get charged next turn um, mm-hmm. if something is still there. So I think as people kind of rate them very highly, and I think they are very good. I don't think they're an auto include or they're kind of unbeatable in that list. I think they're a good addition. I just don't think they're like the greatest either. My take is every time I've run these guys, I've put them behind my lines. Uh, well, behind, I should say behind like a chaff screen that's kind of like next to my lines so that they can flank if they need to. But if you put a couple layers of slaves in front of these guys, uh, that 18 inch range, you know, essentially you're losing a turn of shooting um, you're going to want to be moving up and swarming the enemy anyway. So you, you rumble these guys up next to them and, uh, and they're usually blasting off. Uh, I'll target stuff in the backfield, you know, enemy war trombones, you know, characters. If there's something behind a chaff wall that needs to die, you know, say someone's got like mounted sons or something behind, I don't know, <laughs> something else, <laughs> you know, you can target yeah. the mounted sons before you kill the trash wall. Anything height three, height four shooting has real value in the game. Right. Right. Getting those, uh, whatever the uh, martyr's prayer caster or oh yeah, a, bl- a blizzard guy running around, blizzard wizard, little bastard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so there is a there is a listener question here talking about the melee upgrade. Do you guys want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah. So the question here is um, thoughts on a non-vile sorcery death engine and the melee upgrade death engine comment here is in mutant rat fiends so i've toyed with test i've toyed with and tested all and have my own thoughts but curious to get others thoughts on them and their viability so i think it's a good point because if you take the uh the bloody carnage combat upgrade i'd almost rather have a mutant rat fiend than the death engine in that case more reliable at- attacks regen uh, you lose out on the rallying one but and you get strider 
So right. I think the the comparison, I, I don't think I would ever take a combat death engine instead of a, a mutant rat fiend. I think the, the real problem is, I think if you compare the Bloody Carnage death engine to the mutant rat fiend, they both have pros and cons. You know, uh, the Carnage death engine's got defense five as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, they're both fearless, which is cool. Uh, you got the regen on the Raffine. I think they're comparable for sure. I do think the Raffine wins out a little bit, but I think the real problem here is just for 15 more points, the Vile Sorcery is just so much better than Bloody Carnage. Because the Vile Sorcery gives you options. Exactly. Right, and the Bloody Carnage isn't that much better in combat. I mean, it's still decent in combat, even without it. Right, like give me a plus one to hit on that on that little uh, There you go bonuses there and now now we might be cooking with gas but just with the the cs2 and vicious i don't think that's enough to persuade me that's a good idea i like that and so it's i think it's fair to mention too since this unit was introduced in uncharted empires i think it's gone multiple iterations of revisions in clash of kings right and erratas (laughs) to kind of bring it uh, it was really really good when it first came out and i think they've kind of toned it down over the course of the years to where i think it's pretty balanced right now so now i'll bring us into the heroes and the first hero on the slot is the blight lord oh, blight lord my favorite guy josh is new josh is new man <laughs> crush josh, lord! josh i'm sorry i will let you take the blight lord oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if, if if I can do the honors, then I will do the honors. All right. Absolutely. So, speed six, melee four, uh, defense four plus. He's got four attacks. He's a dash 12 for 95 points. You get CS2, uh, ensnare, individual, inspiring, blight only, and stealthy. You can upgrade him to have Bane Champ for 20 points. I freaking love this guy. He is awesome. You throw if you put the wings of honey maze on this guy, it's a little expensive, but he is an excellent disorderer. Uh, with four attacks, he he's pretty reliable. You can give him the blade of slashing, so he can reroll one of those misses if he gets a four plus. Uh, I had this guy like single handedly take out gargoyle troops, disorder dragons left and right at masters. Um, with a rally behind him, he's up to dash fourteen. This guy is an all star in my opinion. I think this guy is amazing. And Bane Chant three is nothing to sneeze at either. Right, Bane Chant 3 is great in the fact that it gives him access to the other legendary spells, too. That, yep. That's a thing. That's a thing. Josh, I, I think you and I are on opposite sides of this Oh, one. boy. <laughs> I like I, this. I, I think that the Blight Lord does everything, and he's costed because he does everything. But he doesn't have a focus. He, he's not quite a fighty hero. He's not uh, melee 3. He's not quite a caster, but he has the option to Bane Chant uh, 3. Um, so in my mind, you're paying a lot of points for stuff that you might not necessarily use. And that, that's been my experience with him. I've only used him in a, a two games, so I, I'm not going to talk too much because I don't really have that much experience. But every time I try to fit him in the list, the inspiring blight doesn't help. And the only thing I could think of was honey maze and, and toss him into a unit to disorder. But Well, you definitely need blight to get your points out of this guy. I had two hordes of blight in a list that I would run with him. And basically, he's he kind of sticks with that battle group, right? And with the Bane Chant 3, it makes it so I don't have to buy an additional warlock to Bane Chant my blights. Um, and I like having him nearby to just, you know, to disorder the dragon or to really within snare and dash 14 with his buddies around he's just he's a great roadblock this guy can take a charge from a dragon and 
laugh and then punch the dragon in the face and the dragon's stuck now and you can swarm it, you know? Um, I don't know. I had, I had great success with this guy and nobody ever sees it coming either. Cause they're like, Oh, a little caster guy. And then he jumps out 12 inches, punches something in the face, does really good. Um, I love my guy, my guy, the blight Lord. I love this guy. <laughs> Happy yeah, I like, I love him. Yeah. Crushing strength two on him is good. And again, I haven't used this guy, but if I compare him to the warlock, and I think Josh, Josh, you, you and I have kind of talked about this, the the points and efficiency of the uh, warlock. I know. Right? Yep. I don't, I don't like being forced into buy lightning bolt five on him. Right. For those same, for five more points, I can get a blight lord, and I can pay the same twenty points to get my bane chant three. I find I don't really use the lightning bolt that much, but I would use the combat ability, the inspiring of the blight lord, the tank ability. I think that's a better points investment just for me than the warlock and the lightning bolt five. Right. Again, is there a uh, legendary spell that you're thinking of putting on the blight Lord, Josh, or I think he just sticks with his Bane chant. Honestly, some of the new, I mean, maybe critters call, you could pop them out yeah. real quick, throw a critters call and hop back into the line, do whatever you got to do, do what blight Lord do. You know, no, I, I think this guy's a great, great investment. And uh, having one in my list never let me down at Masters or leading up to Masters. Um, yeah, I, I think he's awesome. Yeah, I think you're right, Ray. I think he is a mid-level do-everything guy, but he's one of the few that I think does it well, actually. can kind of do it all and fulfills multiple roles without being too terribly expensive. Oh, you know what else is actually a good spell for him, too, is Alchemist Curse as well. Is a good one to throw. Oh on yeah! Him. Once you get them engaged with your uh, hammer of measured force blight, yeah, yeah, pop them out. Maybe throw it on like the Earth Elemental Horde that's coming in. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a Swiss Army knife. He's a lot of tools you can keep in your back pocket. I wish he could take a mount, but you know you can't have everything. Right? Yeah, that's the only downside is he can't take a mount. But <laughs> there's another guy that can, and I think he's next. He is next. And so I think I'll take him. This is the enforcer. So this guy is a whole bunch of hot garbage. So So he's a character, uh, infantry, uh, speed six, melee four, uh, defense four, attacks three, uh, nerve nine, 11, and he is 45 points appropriately costed for garbage. Um, His special rules are uh, crushing strength one. He is an individual and has rallying one. And has an option for a flea bag mount, which is 15 points, and it's a speed nine mount. So I love this guy. I think for the, the cheap, cheap 60 points that you have to buy him with the mount, he gets that railing anywhere on the board that you need him to be. He can run around. He can chaff stuff up, get out there, and say, I want that unit of Soul Reaver calf to sit there for another turn and not be anywhere near me. He just goes out and, and dies gloriously. <laughs> even, oh, I love this guy, too. Yes, I mean, even though it's only melee four fighting war machines, you still get nine attacks. You're almost always going to disorder or something. Um, he's not going to kill a war machine, most likely, no, yeah, in no. one turn. He'll but, fail miserably but, for but sure. two turns. Give him two turns. But, Exactly. Two turns. Hopefully he'll kill. He might kill a dwarf organ gun over the course of the game. He did <laughs> kill a Goblin King in Greg Person's uh, army single-handedly because the Goblin King kept wavering. That was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but he's just so damn cheap. I mean, yeah. he does the things like you, maybe you throw him into a shooting horde. Maybe he does a wound. Maybe he doesn't. But it doesn't matter because he's 60 points. Yeah, and everything's expendable. Everything's chaff when you're a rat. 
So, exactly. so I'm going to just plead the, remember that this guy's an enforcer. He's not all that good. I have been let down by him so many times. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yet, because he's so cheap, he always finds a way in my army. That's the thing. You can't, like, he's got, like, bigot syndrome, right? Like, yes. you just have to, you have to just not expect too much out of the enforcer. Like, if he, if he performs, that's cool. If he doesn't, then, like, at least you stop something for one turn as they kill him. Yep. You, you, <laughs> you, set, your expect- you like- set your expectations low, you will really? always be impressed. <laughs> that's it, yeah. I, can- I'm going to say... Blade of slashing. Blade of slashing is good. Yep. Yeah, that's the only that's the only upgrade I can see putting on him. Right. I would For love sure. to do the uh, crystal pendant. That might be fun. You know, yeah, that, that's viable. Shoot him up at somebody's face and say, "Well, <laughs> yeah. deal, with, deal, hey. deal with me." <laughs> Take that. But I also I, think uh, there's a there's a cool little combo you can do with an enforcer and a swarm crier. I mean, I don't know. It might be worth it. Might not be. But you can um you can. Take the rallying of the enforcer, give him the inspiring talisman, so he's inspiring and rallying one. Then you do the the opposite with the swarm crier, so you have right. two little guys that are running around with rally one and inspiring. You know, you can kind of flip flop them, and and, and they are useful because the speed nine mountain gets them wherever they need to go. Right, I, I and I mean like for that. for a total of you know what it it would be like eighty points. eighty like hundred sixty points. points. maybe hundred sixty points. You get rallying one and inspiring in two sources. I think that's pretty decent. I agree. So, I think we're all agreeing enforcers are good, but they're garbage. And <laughs> right, they're good. They're not that good. So you know, and, they're good, but they're okay. As they're much good, as you but... can hope and pray that they will ground that dragon. Right. I will assure you, to whoever's listening, it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's, yeah, he'll fail. But I mean, that's why you laugh and you take two. And even so. then, they're going to fail. Even yeah. after you <laughs> cast Bane Chant on them, which. May have occurred in more than one of my games at this point in time. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a yeah. So I'm going to bring up the uh, unit, which I don't think any of us use, which is the opposite of the Enforcer, the War Chief. <laughs> War Chief. Speed 6. War Chief. Melee 3, defense 5, 5 attacks, 11-13 for 110. He's CS1, an individual, and inspiring. For 20 points, you can make him speed 9 with a flea bag. You can also give him a two-handed weapon for CS2, lowering his defense to 4. I, I, I like my enforcers better. He was dirty like that and make the flea bag 5 more points. Why? I know, I know. <laughs> then you can get your 5 attacks where you need it. I have run a war chief before with, uh, with the wings. He does what a guy with the wings does, but... I can just never fit him in any of my more optimized builds. Like now that my army's grown from, I just converted it over from eighth, right? Now that it's grown to like more of an optimized King's War army, I just, I just can never fit him. He's just too expensive. Exactly. I, he, he's your first thing to go. He's too good. You don't need that in your army. Most of the right. time, you don't need those five hero attacks. You don't need that. So Right. I you just the shoot top. the war engines instead. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And and plus, he doesn't score, so that's always a downside. Right. If he had, like, some kind of cool big rat mount or something, that might be cool. But Yeah, like a monstrous, like a, even a ground-bound large cavalry mount. That might be a yeah. different story. Yeah. Mount him in a doom wheel. How about? Oh no, you mount him in a in a tunnel runner. Where's that? There you option? go. Come on, that'd be, that'd be slick. Now we're talking. We're getting to the theory <laughs> we're going on here. I like it. Well, or chief in a tunnel runner should be our new entry next year. <laughs> actually, 
Actually, that is a valid question. When you look at the War Chief and you look at the Night Terror, I would never take. I would almost always take the Night Terror over top of the War Chief and just pay twenty points to get the uh, Inspiring Talisman on the Night Terror. Oh, for one hundred percent certain, the Night Terror is one of our best best things in our army, in my opinion. Now. But. Yeah, so let's just talk about him right now. <laughs> you want to? You want to jump right into? <laughs> let's, let's let's skip ahead a little bit. You want to spoil I mean, it? All right. Yeah, let's spoil him. So he's the uh, the new character option from the Clash twenty nineteen book, and he is a large infantry hero, speed nine, melee three, defense five plus, five attacks, nerve twelve fourteen, for a the low low price of one hundred fifteen. And he comes with crushing strength too. He has height too. He is nimble. So he scores. He has a decent amount of attacks. He has a decent defense. Decentish nerve. Much better when he's rallied. Fast. I've been referring to him as like an alpha light. <laughs> yes, yes. I was when I was I was playing Keith Conroy. I was like, that like an alpha is awesome. He's also really expensive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the night terror is almost as good, but super cheap. So good. I, I'm I'm thinking three in every new I mean, these guys are just fantastic for what they can do. If you have the slots, put those night terrors in there. Oh, and yeah, I'm thinking fan. he even beats out enforcers, in my opinion. This, this I think I, I think I agree. I think I agree there because he is a threat in combat. He's nimble, so getting to flanks is pretty easy with a nimble large infantry character. He has unit strength. I'm not sure I'm going to go all three, Josh, but I, yep. I can definitely see one replacing my enforcer that has let me down so many times. Yeah, man, it's it's a really good unit, and uh, I'm I'm really excited to use them. I played one test game uh, when I ran Turbo Runners, and the Night Terror stuck in between those two Tunnel Runners with the Rally One, also really sharp and good. I love this guy, and and honestly, the Mantic model for Night Terror is actually really cool too. And yes, uh, I, have, I have a few of those in my on my paint desk as well. So you're you're literally the reason I don't have any of these models, Josh. <laughs> I bought them all, <laughs> Josh. I was going to ask wh- which one is it, so I can buy one as well. And it's just called the, the Night Terror. It's uh, called the Night Terror. Yeah. yeah, but I can't buy it because you bought them all. <laughs> it's my grand a, scheme the whole time. That was a very lab thirteen laugh. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's you know every time I roll, good roll, that's the laugh you get out of me when you're playing. So look forward to that's playing. That's right. Once you hear it. Okay, valid question. What artifact or upgrade would you give to the Night Terror? I kind of like Inspiring Talisman on this guy, especially if you're going with Turbo Runners. Turbo Runners formation. I like him rallying and inspiring. I've thought Inspiring is a good one. I really like Brew a Haste on this guy. Mm-hmm. Get him up to that speed ten. Now, now we're cooking. I like uh, I like whip of celerity on this guy. I like banner uh, banner of the griffin. If you're gonna wedge him in with your uh, tunnel runners, well, yeah, I guess if you do banner of the griffin, you could do the the other rally formation. But you already have rally one, so yeah, yeah. But having two, of, like you said, having, having having two of these guys, one with the banner of the griffin right. and one in the rally formation, is really good. The other thing no, you could you could even put the breath on this guy, run around with your nimble and breath stuff, hit stuff in the rear. This guy is so versatile, and I really think that you're, we're going to see a lot more of these guys in Ratkin lists in 2019. I agree. I know Alex Kuz has been using him, and he really likes yep. him. I think it's he's he's a he's a super strong choice, and I think he will start to phase out the uh, the enforcers over time because he does score, and he's think- not an individual. I think characters like this 
are going to be slowly but surely replacing individuals if the game stays the way it is now. Yep. You know, char- yep. new yep. characters yep. coming out like this that have unit strength that are a little bit cheaper are going to be phasing out the enforcers of the world. Armies wide, you know, not maybe not just Rakin, but uh, uh, as the game evolves. At the end of the day, we now have two options. So I agree completely. The Night Terror's better. And, and arguably it's better than the Enforcer for points. But the Enforcer's still 60 points because you're going to give them the mount and a cheap little creature to run around as you see fit and as you need. Mm-hmm. So once again, we... The Ratkin list is a list that has many, many options and arguably well-costed and and uh, well-positioned options for the player. Yeah, I think you're right. And there's so everything, there's a lot of things that you will take and that you could take in your army. And all of them are good options. I think there are very few non-starters in this list. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, what's cool about the Night Terror, too, is like, like you said, Ray, you know, um, if you want to take the Enforcer, like, say you need to shave points. Okay, let me just knock my Night Terror down to an Enforcer. Now I saved X amount of points to do whatever I need to. So it's almost like you can just downgrade a Night Terror or upgrade an Enforcer if you have extra points. All right, should we jump back into uh, the normal? Yeah, we were were at this guy. (laughs) Warlock. This guy here. Want me to take this one? I'll take this one. He's got a... So we're going the Warlock. Speed 6, melee 5+. plus. He's got a four plus defense. He's got one attack. He's got nine eleven nerve, and he is for ninety points. Comes stock with lightning bolt five and individual. Now let me just note, people, that you didn't see inspiring on that list, <laughs> which is what he really <laughs> needs. So he has a couple options. He can take all the new spells, obviously, but he comes standard uh, with his options. He can take bane chant three for twenty points. He can take heal three for fifteen points. He can take Windblast 5 for 15 points, and you can mount him on a flea bag for 15 points. What do you guys think? I love the Warlock. I, I, <laughs> I'm sorry, Corey and I have differing opinions on the Warlock. In my view, he's 90 points. You're paying a lot of points for a magic user to get Lightning Bolt 5, which you're going to use for the first two, maybe three turns. And then you're clearly going to pay the 20 points to have Bane Chant 3, which you're going to use for the last three turns of the game. And that is that's how you run a warlock. You have one with inspiring, might not have that anymore with the night terror, um, and with one you can have whatever other item you want. But to me, he's a very expensive caster, but one that makes the army work in my mind. Corey differs. Yeah, and I disagree because I think he's too expensive for what he does. I don't necessarily want that lightning bolt five. If it were an option. Great. I would take him all the time because I do want that Bane Chant 3. I would love to have a cheaper option to be able to take that Heal 3 and Shroud of the Saint on there and not have to pay for the Lightning Bolt. But because I'm paying in bread for the Lightning Bolt itself, it kind of turns me off to this guy. He's in, a, in an army where I want all my points, I just don't want to spend points on a Lightning Bolt 5. Right. I, I mean... For me, it's it's similar to what Corey said. He's just a little too expensive for me. And honestly, this guy, for me, the selling point for this guy, if he came stock with his indivi- with his inspiring, I would take this guy every day of the week. But the problem is, is like, you know, I want to take at least one because I want I want the bane chant 
because personally, I hate Bane Chant 2. I think it's garbage. And needs to be <laughs> uh, Bane Chant 3 is money, but I hate Bane Chant 2 if I have Bane Chant 3 in the list. It's just one of those things like there's a couple new uses for him. I guess you can make this guy into a Blizzard wizard, but again, like he's expensive. So then you right, start mounting him and you're looking at like a hundred and some odd, you know, 140 something points for a Blizzard wizard with no piercing. You want to give him piercing. Now it's like almost what, 160 something? I don't yeah. know. I don't yeah, know. That's the hard part, right? Because you're paying for the lightning bolt. It's hard to squeeze in those legendary spells now because, oh, you're paying for lightning bolt, but I really just want Blizzard. Right, exactly. I, I don't... I thought about giving this guy uh, legendary spells. I'm I'm taking him next weekend to Mountaineer, but I just can't justify it. Lightning mm-hmm. bolt 5 is not bad as an early uh, spell, and then I want the Bane Chant. Right. And no, any of the right. legendary spells would take away from the lightning bolt 5, which, as you said, Corey, I'm paying... I'm paying well to get that capability. Now, would you guys agree that maybe it should be Lightning Bolt 6 or Bane Chant 3 base? Right? That yeah, would I would be rather like, see. Make me take the option. Sure. Right. You know, like, give me an option, like, of swapping out, like, may swap out Lightning Bolt for Bane Chant or for whatever. You know, that would really help. Then I could take a, a legendary spell. So I could have Bane Chant 3 and a legendary spell, and, and I could live with that. Yep. Yeah. And I think I think if because of this guy's cost and what he brings to the table, I think the way you run it, Ray, is probably the, the best way to run it. you got to have multiples because you have to go in on the lightning bolt. So you've mm-hmm. got two, two warlocks and a uh, demon spawn. I think that works because then you've got, okay, lightning bolt 15. Yeah, suddenly it's a threat. And it's right. something that you actually have to worry about where sometimes I just want to take one caster. I have a hard time justifying taking him because it's I'm paying for that lightning bolt five and just a single lightning bolt five doesn't do too much. When I uh, go to the church of uh, Josh and Claw Shots, I think the uh, two warlocks, the demon spawn and two or three claw shots will give a uh, shooting capability, which has to be at least respected. Mm hmm. I, yeah. I was um I was running him with the lightning bolt five and uh and the blood boil cir- circlet, uh last in 2018. I liked it. It was good. I mean, he can add that extra lightning bolt five, uh, and then blood boil when my when my forty breath just dumps on someone, which is <laughs> insult to injury. <laughs> but you can really choose one unit and kill it. Uh, really, really kill it dead. So <laughs> I, I use them. I use them. They're good. They're okay. I mean, they're just a little too expensive. I wish they were cheaper. I never use more than one. Yeah, yeah. In, in a list, in a list where we're like, everything is so cheap. <laughs> right. The, yeah. Right. He's the he's the outlier. Right. Yep. And, and I think we all agree. We wish he was cheaper and not quite as good. Exactly. Correct. Yep. Correct. That's the theme of the list. <laughs> Give me lightning bolt two and sixty points. I'll take that <laughs> yeah, every day. That's right. That's right. That's right. Every single day. <laughs> But we still want Bane Chant 3. because Yeah, but I want Bane Chant 3, though. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All, All right. right. So next one, Ray, you want to take the Assassin? Sure, I'll take the Assassin. He is Speed 6, Melee 3, Range 3, Defense 4, 4 Attacks, 10-12, 100 points. He's CS1, Individual, Piercing 1, Vanguard, Vicious, Stealthy, Throwing Weapons. Uh, he doesn't have any options because he has a lot of the rules anyways to begin with. Most often you will find him with the Wings of Honey Maze because then he can vanguard up 20 inches and provide backfield threat right off the start. 
with four attacks and CS1, if he goes into a war machine, uh, he can do that. He can also go hunting blizzard wizards if he if you get the first turn and survive or go second and survive. So he has a lot of options, has a lot of utility, but he's 140 points properly kitted out, which is quite a lot of points to spend in an army where we want everything to be cheap and disposable. He is most certainly not cheap and disposable. Um, this is where my boy Blightlord trumps this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's missing the Vanguard, but yeah, healthy. He doesn't have like a throwing weapon. He is vicious, though, right? Isn't the blade lord vicious? He is. Uh, is the blade lord uh, vicious? No, I don't not. think he is. But he is CS two. You know, doesn't hit on threes. But he's ninety five points to a hundred. You get the bane chant three in there. I don't know. Take blade lord as my <laughs> blade lord's the guy. Yeah, I, I like I like the idea of the assassin. I always have actually with with Skaven way back when. I think that's a that's a cool theme. I like how it fits thematically in the army but this guy is just a little too expensive but i do like the thought of him having the wings vanguarding up and all of a sudden he's a backfield threat and things like your your blizzard wizards your anybody that's kind of skulking around the backfield your skulls get them out of there war machines he's starting to he's plinging off guys in the uh, shooting hordes. He's doing all of that. He's got a thrown weapon, so he can start doing stuff at range, too. So I think the idea of him is cool. I would love to see him in a list, and I can see him working in that kind of fast assault army that has taller runners, hack paws, demon spawns, mm-hmm. night runners. He's up there. He's your individual that's just a pain in the ass to deal with. It's pretty good. Yeah, so I kind of like him in that. I think as people start to do that, we'll see him more because of that utility. People were uh, – what do you guys think of – there was a combo on the internet for a little while that people were running him with the Jar of the Four Winds. What do you guys think of that? I yeah. like that. Actually, I kind of was looking at the formation with the the Night Runners mm-hmm. and that and him with the uh, with the Jar of the Four Winds and giving them all crossbows and making a little shooting battery that you could vanguard up the table and position somewhere in terrain. I, I, I think for a few more points, I'd much sooner have him with wings because I want him behind the lines so that the enemy has to think about whatever uh, train of pain is coming from the front with this little annoying creature in the back. So I don't think he necessarily needs to have the extra 12 inches of range, especially if you're running him uh, solo, uh, because you want him to go into the war machines. You want him to go into the wizards or the skulls or, or, or the little things that can't really fight back. And I think yeah, that's, exactly. that's how he differs from your Blight Lord, Josh. As much as you love the Blight Lord, it comes down to what you need to hit. Do you need to go into the backfield to go after the uh, uh, the weapons teams, the breath weapons of the elves? Because they have an 18-inch bubble. This guy can go 20 with the wings, um, and he'll kill them. Right. Yeah, and, and this guy suffers from the fact that everything the nerve is one or two points lower than it typically would be because of our access to Rayleigh. But this guy wants to run alone, so right. he kind of suffers in that regard. The assassin usually doesn't have that many friends. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? I think he's a solid choice, and, and if you're going to take him, take him with wings. But uh, I, I haven't seen him used well to date. And it's a shame because there are so many good rat assassin models out there. All of the ones that Games Workshop produced over the years are dynamite. So, Corey, do you want to bring us into the Swarm Crier? I do. I do. He is usually the only inspiring source in my army. 
if I take them at all. Form Cryer is your standard uh, BSB model, speed 6, melee 5, defense 4, 1 attack, nerve 810 for 45 points. He only has the inspiring special rule and is an individual um, and can take a flea bag for a speed 9 mount for 15 points. He's awesome. He's five points cheaper than everybody else's BSB. <laughs> stick the, I always stick the loot on him just because you need access to Bane Chan. Bane Chan is always good in the Ratkin army. I mean, what's not to love about this guy? I typically don't mount him just because he's usually where he needs to be in my army by the shock troops, by the blight in a critical spot, Bane chanting those guys. So I don't need him running around super fast, and I don't want him getting shot from behind all my height one models. I, I would agree. That's that's why you don't mount him. He does not need to move fast. He does not need to be seen. He wants to hide in the back like a true rat and uh, just provide his inspiring bubble to everyone else. Cry yeah. to the storm. Yeah. I like I like Josh's idea, though, where putting him with the Griffin standard and then inspiring Talisman on the Swarm Crier and just kind of having two rallying, inspiring sources running around. That's uh, that's legit. Yeah. Nice and cheap. Yep. And Josh, do you give a uh, breath weapon to the Swarm Crier effort? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> I, I, typically, <laughs> I typically run... Uh, see, for me, I usually run Swarm Criers in place of Warlocks most of the time, just giving them whatever item... I need the job to be done. So if I needed a Bane Chant until I converted. So I, I was running for a long time. I was running a Bane Chant 2 on one and uh, the Breath Attack on the other. And uh, eventually I just got frustrated with Bane Chant 2 and ended up having to pay the premium for the Warlock begrudgingly. But, <laughs> but um, you know, Bane, uh, a Swarm Crier with the, with the loot is pretty good. Um, it's just when you're running an army of Blight, you really you really rely on that Bane chant and it needs to be a little more reliable than Bane chant too, I find. But uh, uh, yeah, you can give these guys all sorts of little items and they're cheap enough that you can give them, you know, a 20, 30 point item, uh, something that helps them contribute a little bit more. And, um, and they really do the job, whatever you need. He's good. Just like every other BSB. Next up is the demon spawn speed six, Malay three plus no range defense, five plus 13 attacks, nerve 16, 18, 290 points. Comes with crushing three, inspiring lightning bolt five, rallying two, and the options for fly and speed ten at fifty points. Josh, do you run him? I was running him a lot. Uh, actually, every list until probably uh, I ran him at crossroads. So till like till probably around winter time this year, I kind of draw. I ditched him to kind of add more troops to my army. But uh, he's really really good. I think he's really good. He's just that nerve is actually a lot lighter than you would think if you give him the wings because uh, he's not really around his buddies too often. Okay, I'm going to say you always give him fly and speed 10 for 50 points. You know, <laughs> mine's modeled with wings, and there have been a couple builds that I've made that I've really kind of wished that I could just bust the nice pretty wings off mine <laughs> <laughs> just to keep them on the ground and around and around the troops. But I think there's merit to both to both ways, honestly. I found that there's two ways to play him, and, and, and I've used both. One is I use him as my back line. So I, I have my chaff, I have the shock troops, and then in the back I keep the demon spawn. And I, I, I use him as kind of the general overseeing the battlefield. He has fly and speed 10, so if ever I need extra combat power, he can come in and do it. 
Uh, the second option is to put him on a flank and fly him up and to have him try to really push a flank early. And, and in my mind, that's the two ways to use the demon spawn. Just bear in mind, it's 13 attacks. And it's one of the reasons why I love shock troops is because they have elite and vicious, which means that my die rolls have some form of an average. Because when I roll lots of ones, I get to reroll them all. <laughs> With Sir Missalot, uh, the demon spawn, if I roll my 13 attacks and he's missing on ones and twos, I don't get to reroll them. And he's normally wounding on two plus, so any ones are misses. So he will, on average, get less than seven actual wounding hits. Um, so he does not inspire me with great confidence when he goes into a combat. And I am quite happy to play a game where I paid the points for the demon spawn. And in six turns, he's never had to go into combat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this guy, so he was, before Clash 2019, this guy was unique, right? He was the best, probably the best dragon model out there because of the 13 attacks. He had Lightning Bolt 5 built in, Railing 2. He had all the all the rules. He was awesome. Now I think you're starting to see more dragons. Granted, they're all on 75 mil bases that can bring 12, 13 attacks to the table. So he's not, and they have better nerve for somewhat similar points. So he's not unique in that regard anymore. I think the problem is rallying two means you want him by your army, but he's a flying dragon. So you want him on the edges <laughs> and vice versa. His nerve is a little low. So you want him to benefit from rallying from his buddies again, but you want him on the flank. So it's kind of pulls you in two different directions. I but think. now with tunnel runners, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I yeah. feel like that's a, a real thing now. Mm -hmm. So those guys get him up to 1820. You get two units of tunnel runners next to him, get him up to 1820, and you just speed that whole mishmash right up the flank. <laughs> just deal yeah, with it. And then know? turn around and face the center. And I mean, he, and he's bringing rallying to all those guys as well. Yep. I think there's uh, for something real there. Um, one thing that I've, I've toyed with a little bit is trying to get him and allying in another dragon style flyer, like a void lurker in with him. So you have two dragons in a ratkin list. That's kind of fun and kooky. Yeah. I've tried to do that too, but that it almost feels forced, you know, like it's like you're almost taking away bodies to do that. And exactly. Other lists can kind of do it a little bit better. I've found. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're looking at, Oh my Troops are gone. Yeah, right. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I forgot. All my stuff sucks. <laughs> I needed I, more sucky stuff. I, I would say that one of the things he does do is he causes your opponent to think about that 20-inch bubble of where that demon spawn can be. Because if he gets a flank or a rear, he's going to eat that unit. Sir oh, yeah. lot does not – it becomes Sir hits a lot if he's going into a flank or rear. Yeah, he owns it. Yep. And with a with an army that's all height one across the board, pretty much, uh, he can he's got line of sight to pretty much everything. And I've gotten I've I've won games single handedly on a demon spawn doing a twenty inch charge across the board into the backfield to wipe out like a crucial horde or something that someone didn't see coming. So yeah, and he's really good. Likewise, that lightning yeah. bolt five on a uh, height four creature gives you a lot of options for sniping. Uh, Blizzard wizards and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yep, I think he's good. I don't think he's mandatory, but he's definitely good, and he's very a uh, very solid choice. The only problem in this list is, you know, is you can have your three hundred and forty point amazing demon spawn, 
or <laughs> you can have almost two more hordes, right? I mean, right. But that's yeah. the problem. Or uh, now you kind of have to three, three night terrors that almost do it. Exactly. So, um, so maybe night terror cloud beats him out in 2019. I don't know. I could see that actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. But so I think that's lots as opposed to one too. So yeah, exactly. So I think that takes us through all of the unit entries here. Well, that was a lot of work with the unit by unit breakdown. So with that, we'll take a quick commercial break. And on the other side, we'll get into some other fun stuff. I am the U.S. Masters champion, Patrick Zora Allen, and you're listening to Counter Charge. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. Welcome back to Counter Charge. And next up for us, we have a list of questions for our esteemed guests for the Ratkin Army Review. So let's start with this, guys. How would you describe the Ratkin meta in 2018? I guess there's different ways that you could go with the meta for Ratkin, but I think the most predominant one was the trash meta, right? Hordes and hordes, high nerve, lots of troops, lots of deployments, lots of drops. Uh, so I think that with backed up with some pretty strong shooting elements with the weapons teams and the claw shots, uh, scattering of cheap, useful characters in there as well. But I think the, the core of the army tended to be either shock troops, blight, and slaves with everything else kind of mixed in with it. I think Corey nailed that one. That's pretty much it. Corey ran the trash meta. I ran the elite Ratkin meta. But either way, you're still gives you lots of options. But in 2018, it was limited to a speed six meta. And no matter which way you ran it, whether you ran it with good infantry or cheap infantry, it was all infantry. And I think that's that's the key to the Ratkin meta in 2018 is it was an infantry base. And, and I think you're going to see that changing in 2019. Yeah, I think you're right. The introducing of the new units from Clash of Kings is going to really give you better options for speed and different things that you can do with the Tunnel Runners and the Night Terrors and Demon Spawn. I really, as we've kind of theorized throughout the podcast here, I think you'll see some interesting builds that are based around speed and getting up the board while still having pretty decent nerve uh, and decent unit strength to kind of go along with it. Because that would always be my question is, is as much as we saw in 2018, the meta being... Uh, infantry based whether it's trash or elite it's infantry the addition of the uh the tunnel runners and the night terror gives you speed but it gives you speed at the cost of points um the formation's 575 points means that you have to reduce your your line by that many points your, your infantry line has to go down to to add the cavalry element i'm going to question how that's going to impact uh the Ratkin armies in 2019. Yeah, see, and I don't think it, I don't think it necessarily has to because I was already running two regiments of mounted sons with my guys, and, and still had a ton of infantry. Now I can put in tunnel runners in those spots if Josh ever stops buying them all. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can put those in those spots, and now I'll have more unit strength because they're hordes. And I'll save some points to be able to put something else in there, whether I want to bring in a night terror or maybe just uh, swap in a, another enforcer or something along those lines. I think they're I think they're a great addition to the army, to be honest with you, the tunnel runners. They add a piece of that was missing. And again, I hate having an army that has everything it needs, but this one really does <laughs> plug. You hate plug. that? I kind of liked armies to have a weakness at some point, but now it's just, it's there. It's plentiful and adds rallying to the list as well. Right. I think, uh, you know, in 2019, personally, what I'm I'm planning on doing, I, I think I'm going to swap my shock troops. I know, oh, gasp. I, I think I'm going to uh, swap my shock troops for uh, Tunnel Runners and probably keep the core of the Blight 
and going forward. And I think, I think, I think you're going to see a lot of the turbo runner formation just cause uh, all three of those units are really good. You give those guys fury and they, they, they really can do some work. Yeah. The bonuses granted are, are legitimate. Yeah. I, I think my prediction for 2019 is that rather than having a melee focused and speed six infantry focused ratkin, the meta is going to kind of split. You're going to have the Ratkin list, which are still going to do their infantry because they have some of the best infantry in the game. But you're also going to have the fast Ratkin list, and you're also going to have a shooting Ratkin list with the uh, Nightmares. Because I can see you making a very heavy breath weapon, claw shots, so forth, to have an evil amount of shooting in a Ratkin couple, list. A couple vile, vile sorcery engines in there, too. Yeah, I, I think there's some very, like, three really strong builds there. The shooting one, like you said, with Nightmares. Death engines, weapons teams, claw shots, and slaves all over the place. And I really do think this alpha strikey, lots of units that are fast that hit with pack paws and night terrors and night runners. And actually, I think that's the best fit for the demon spawn too, is he's got some buddies to kind of keep up with him. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a, I think that's a good build. And I, I think the the typical horde build is still going to be viable. I don't yeah. see that changing. So I, I think that there's three effective builds uh, going into 2019, and it'll be interesting to see which one uh, comes to the top of the uh, the tournament standings. It makes me wonder if the if the speedy build will actually really like take down a lot of tournaments and stuff like that because I, I just feel like like now that Ratkin can do it, it's certainly fun. And it's really cool that we get speed elements and stuff now, which we did need. But I think if you went all in on that, I'm just I'm thinking in my own head, like, I think other armies can kind of do it better. Yeah, but those other armies can't bring a whole five regiments of cheap-ass slaves. That's fair. Yeah, that's true. Yep. You can still put drops and unit strength on the table and still have those fast elements. That's true. Yep. That's fair. Ray, why don't you start us off? What are the keys to playing the Ratkin army in a competitive environment? I I think, for me... For a person coming to a competitive environment and deciding that they want to play Ratkin, the key is realizing that you're playing rats. And at the end of the day, they're expendable and they all have purposes that they can be used for. But if you lose, it's fine because your opponent killed a bunch of rats. No one's going to brag about killing rats. (laughs) So so that's the mindset to have uh, when you go into it. And then to realize that if you are the war chief or the warlock or the demon spawn in charge of your army, you really don't care if the slaves die. You really don't care if your warriors die. You care a little bit if your blight and shock troops die, but really as long as you win, it doesn't matter what the rats do. And after you get over that, everything can be lost because it doesn't matter because you're rats. The key to making it work, the key to being a successful rat king general is that you have to play the scenario. And you have the ability, because you have so much unit strength, Corey's making 35, I don't know how he's going to do that, but uh, (laughs) you have so much unit strength that you can play the scenario and you can just toss units away to win the game because you have that that ability, which I guess would be my my comment or concerns looking at the fast rack can build of 2019 or the shooty rack can build of 2019 is it would pull from Corey's horde based unit strength based build which is super effective at scenarios going into masters this year going into the fourth game Corey and i uh, were playing eliminate which was really hard for for the rats 
because you have to kill specific items and you have to save yourself. And that's gone now in 2019. So I think even the scenarios are more in favor of what the Ratkins can do in 2019. So it's, it's, it's a good time to be there. Uh, it's a good time to be playing Ratkins because you have the bodies to win. But Corey, Josh, for your thoughts. I, I'm going to just chime in and say, uh, kind of echo what you were saying about, you just have to know, um, to play the army in a competitive environment, you just got to know what you need to be able to trade to get the charges you want to protect the units you need to. You definitely want to keep your blight and your shock troops as safe as possible until they can get their job done. You want to be able to just chaff, 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 chaff is a huge, huge component of this list, whether it's slave hordes, slave regiments, vermintide, you, you, any mix of chaff, you just mix however you want. You just want to make sure that you're, you're blocking up charge lanes, you're gumming up lines, you're, you're blocking shooting lanes. Personally, one of my personal things that I've learned over the years of playing Reckon is like, uh, one thing you really need to make sure that you're doing in a competitive environment is make sure that you never get yourself in a situation where you traffic jam yourself so hard with your own units that you can't get to where you need to go because your stuff is mobile. It's speed six, but at the end of the day, you don't have nimble on a lot of things. And, uh, you know, one unlucky waiver can, can really gum up all your lines and, uh, keep all your stuff on the wrong side of the table. If, um, if your opponent's lucky. So I, I would just advise and also be very aware of where, where blocking terrain is. I, I know that sounds silly, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, in an army where you have so many units on the board, it's very easy to overlook uh, a piece of blocking terrain that's two thirds of the way up the board that won't affect you until turn four or five, where you realize you can't get your shock troop horde over the line for invade or something because you didn't take into account to move them over that two or three inches. Deployment's also key with this list, I think. I'll echo what you guys already said. Like everything in this army is an expendable, and that's the that's the mindset of the army. Like anything could be sacrificed for the sake of winning the scenario, and you have the bodies, you have the unit strength to do that. Um, I think another thing that this army does well is it brings a lot of nerve to the table, and I think whatever you can do to to skew the math in your favor, hugging terrain, forcing hindered charges, getting on a, on obstacles, and making people charge over obstacles to get to you, whatever you can do to make those units kind of stick around and and kind of gum up your opponent's plans even longer that matters. And I think that's kind of the key to playing this army. And there's a lots of different things that you could do with it too. I mean, you can go shooting heavy with claw shots and uh, piercing breath weapons, or you can, you can take a melee component and you can bring lots of shock troops and, and maybe now nightmares or uh, tunnel runners to the game. And really you could have a combat contingent involved there. Um, just recently when I took the list, I took to unplugged, I didn't have a single character in the whole list and it worked just fine. I mean, there's lots of different ways you can play this army and it works really, really well. Um, to Josh's point though, these are hordes, and they are not easy to maneuver. So you have to kind of deploy correctly, think about where these guys are going to go, what you want them to do. And the other bad thing about this army is it's not very responsive, right? If something starts to go bad, 
it's going to go bad all the way down because you don't have the ability to, you don't have nimble, a lot of nimble units. You don't have a lot of flyers outside of the demon spawn that can move around and, and clean up a mess. If somebody gets a, a charge into your backfield and all of a sudden they're, they're looking at the back of your army, it's really hard for a rack and army to respond, redeploy and kind of change facing like that and be effective. One of the other things I'd leave is be aggressive. The, you have the units, you you have the uh, the mass, and, and by taking that first turn and moving up the twelve inches, you're claiming the objectives, you're claiming the middle board, uh, your your front line's going to get hit by whatever charges them, but you're now fighting on their half of the table, and and you then control the pace. So with the Ratkins, I just recommend uh, to, to people wanting to play in the competitive environment, it's all about the scenario. You have the unit strength to do it. Don't be afraid to take the first turn and just move up 12 inches, claim the table. One last and, tip. Be prepared for when your opponent decides not to kill your slave hordes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Because if that happens and you have all your shock troops and blight behind all your like a huge line of slave hordes, guess what? Those slave hordes aren't going to break anything, and you're just going to sit there all game while your opponent flies around and does whatever he wants to do because mm-hmm. he decided not to kill your chaff. So right. be prepared for your opponent to try not to kill your chaff. Right. Somebody will just stick that flying dwarf king right in front of your slave horde and say, <laughs> "There you are. You're stuck yep. there for the rest of the game." Yep. <laughs> That was me and Morgoth. I had Morgoth in a in a wood in front of my shock troop horde, and uh, for they were stuck there the entire game. So, just remember, traffic jams are a thing. One thing Ray mentioned was about the scenario eliminate. I'd like you guys to expound on that a little bit. You know, what scenarios do you like to play when you're when you're running the Ratkin? Which ones do you hate? Yes, I think Ray Ray brought up that point. We both had obviously the same scenario in Masters, and both of us ended up taking a loss in that game because Rat can need their expensive units to do the killing. So in order to win, eliminate, and kill the opponent's uh, targets of opportunity, you have to put your units out, those eliminate targets out there from your own army. So that's a hard one for Ratkin to win. Mm-hmm. Um, but that one's gone. So now we've got 2019. Kill is another one that's, it could go either way with Ratkin. I think it's a challenge, but... I, I would think it unplugged. I think I actually lost the attrition battle on three out of the five games that I played it unplugged. So that's the problem with playing Ratkin too, is that if you're playing straight clash of Kings attrition charts, uh, you're going to lose a lot more than you kill most of the time, you know? Yeah. Uh, and but, that's, that's a problem. So, and, but in blackjack, in blackjack, exactly. Really, right. big win, really big wins in blackjack because you can win scenarios by a lot in exactly. blackjack. For me, scenarios where we can play subjectives, where you mm-hmm. have to to lay down the objectives on the middle of the board, that's what I like. I I, I did not like eliminate. Um, I actually have problems with control. It's one of the scenarios I do not do well in with my list because I'm, I'm pushing to the other half of the board. But uh, Josh, I think you and Corey both do really well in control. Yeah, yeah I enjoy I control. I don't mind control because, uh, you know, you can you can kind of plop your claw shots down in a corner. That's yours now, unless they come and deal with it. Um, with the demon spawn especially, if you're running the demon spawn, control's not as bad because you can kind of skirt that edge and, and get around and uh, get behind people and 
you know, because Ratkin do have trouble sometimes breaking through the main line, especially if it's against an army that's like super grindy and healy, uh-huh. like um, like dwarves or nature or something like that. Josh, Josh, you're just not taking enough shock troops. Is that what it is? <laughs> Trust me. That, I don't know. Ask Corey. Ask Corey. <laughs> yeah. He had a tough time getting through a nature line at Unplugged, I heard. That's but right. That's you right. did win the game, but <laughs> it's fine. It's so a uh, scenario that I actually think, uh, I, I, kind of ironically, I think Rhett can, can struggle with dominate as a scenario. That was the scenario that Josh and I played. And I was like, you can't really grind through everything in the middle. And because all of your units typically are hordes, you can't get a ton of them into that dominate circle, especially if the opponent pushes up and says, we're going to fight on your half of the table. Actually, I completely agree. The first game at Masters was dominate against uh, Kevin Spear with his Brotherhood list. And I was really worried because as Ratkin, one of the way your hordes disappear is when they get flanked. And the Brotherhood list have speed and they have maneuverability. So if you're going for the center and you don't put enough effort on your flanks, they'll come in and, and eat your units. And for the record, it was a great game against Kevin Spears. Shout out to him. Uh, but I, I, he definitely had me scared for most of the game. And it was a very tight match. I actually, first round of Masters this year, I played I played Brotherhood 2, and it was a similar thing. I barely squeaked the win in like the seventh turn because I was able to sneak two more slave regiments into the circle after everything was completely dead. So, right. um, yeah, I squeaked a win on that one, barely. Yeah, and I played, I played Alex Chavez twice in Dominate, once at Masters and once at Adepticon, and both times I was able to get the win because I was able to sneak a uh, claw shot troop into the Dominate zone yep. at the end of the game. That seven-turn sneaky claw shot run-up. I love That's it. That's right. They're a thing. Yep. But I don't think Dominate is a, is a necessarily a great scenario for Radkin. Other ones where you spread, spread out like Occupy and pillage and loot is actually a good one too because you have so many bodies you start throwing them at loot tokens and then you start hiking them back like a rugby ball (laughs) yeah i would say i would say loot based tokens um you know scavenge is pretty probably pretty good for ratkin i i've been struggling with invade honestly too trying to break through sometimes depends on the matchup for invade i feel like like i played john green and his uh his Spartan Romans at Masters, and because I just had so many more units, I was able to refuse flank and just push a whole yeah. cloud of unit strength across the board on one side. So, I mean, it depends on the army you're facing, and you could just maybe out-deploy them and out-drop them. I'm going to pick up on a comment that Josh made earlier about terrain. Why don't you expound on, you guys, uh, expound on to what type of terrain do you prefer when you're playing Rackin to see on the table, and, and how do you use it effectively? Because I think the point you were making, Josh, is you got to be careful of terrain because you've got these big hordes, and if you're not paying attention, you're not moving correctly, you might end up getting yourself blocked up. You don't yep. want a lot of impassable terrain. I think that's that's the hard part, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of blocking terrain is tough for Ratkin to navigate. Vice versa, hindering terrain is great because it makes, as long as the opponent's not universally Pathfinder, it gives them hindered charges into your high nerve blocks. <laughs> so that's what I kind of go for. I like hills. I, I don't mind the hindering terrain. I don't like obstacles because the obstacles, because I, I'm taking the fight to the enemy. I, I, I'm much, I'm trying to be much more aggressive. Wasn't so successful against the Rat King because I, I, I did not play the train very well or my army as well as I could have. Uh, <laughs> because he used the, Corey used the train better than I did to put his blight behind the train. So my shock troops were 
negative two hitting on sixes or hitting on five sixes if they had Pathfinder. So there are definitely army builds in the Ratkin list that like having the hindered uh, difficult terrain. And there are, there are units that I, I can see that the tunnel runners and the night terrors will want hills, will want clear, uh, clear terrain to the extent possible uh, to ensure that they get in in combat. Because if they're hitting on fours, they're efficient. If they're hitting on fives, you can kind of laugh them off. I would pretty much agree with you guys. Uh, hills are nice to uh, push your push your stuff across as fast as you can. Honestly, if if you get a if you get a board choked with like three or four blocking pieces of terrain, just you just got to be really careful because I mean it, you can easily now have to squeeze an already expansive force onto like a third of the table and try to have to fight your way on just one third of the table, uh, which that happened to me a couple times in Masters. So you just have to. Got to watch that block and terrain. Anything else is pretty much fair game, though, I think. Yeah, I, I enjoy I, obstacles, too. Making making Pathfinder armies fight over obstacles is always fun. I assume dot deployment can be used to mess you guys up, too, right? Making sure they put funnel you where they want you to, to, to go. If, if you can place a blocking terrain with seven, seven inches away from the board edge, uh, it creates a no-go zone for all hordes. So that's a, an easy way to begin. Yeah, and I actually had uh, two or three games at Masters where they were able to put two or three gaps on the board that I couldn't get one infantry horde through. Dot, dot terrain. <laughs> and dominate, dominate with dot terrain is tough because if the opponent has the ability to put two sizable and passable pieces like in or on the edges of that deployment or the uh, the dominate circle, that's a tough one. Which yeah. Alex did against me. That's a tough one for the Ratkin, especially if there's more than two pieces of uh, impassable, then they're always going to be able to do that. Okay, um, question for you two. How do you guys feel about having impassable in your deployment zone or just I, on the edge of your deployment zone? Rather have it there. I don't mind it if it's off to the left or off to the right, but personally, if I have an impassable in the center of my deployment zone, that tends to mess me up because Ratkin are not an army that like to split up. We like to stick around each other to be rallied. So at least the way I play and in my play style, I find that I, I kind of blob my uh, I try to blob my units together so that they all support each other and uh, kind of right. attack in waves. Yeah, I agree. And then uh, with that terrain, too, uh, for me, I actually wanted to muck up the board. So I would create giant bubbles of hindering terrain out there because I wanted I'd hide the hills off to the side. I wanted people to be hindered charging my slave blocks and my blight blocks, because to me, that's a that's a win if they're hindered. Because for me, I, I think if I was playing Ratkin, I would take the middle of the board about 16 inches up, and that's where you place your uh, impassable piece of terrain. I'd be disrupted because as a Ratkin player, what do I do? Do I go left of it? Do I go right of it? My army doesn't necessarily fit on half a board. Let's touch on magical artifacts. We didn't really talk about them too much during the unit breakdowns. Is this an army you need ma magical artifacts with? Or is it like one of those armies you can just play with a lot of naked dudes? If you need them, what are some of the combos that people should be looking at? So I typically don't take too many ma magic items. I like the brew strength in there because Rat can do struggle for punching through high defense. right? So I think I like to have usually a unit of shock troops that has crushing strength too. I like to take the loot on a BSB. Um, and if I have the points, I'll take Pathfinder on a Blight unit. But outside of that, I'm usually not taking a, a ton, but be that's because I want everything cheap, and the build I have that works. But Ray's Army, 
all of those shock troops bar one, I think, have a magical item that make them really hard to deal with. Like the brew of sharpness on a shock core troop is for real. I've actually moved away from that because it's an extra 45 points, puts it up to 275, which you're absolutely right. It absolutely kills everything, Corey, but it still dies the same way as every other shock troop. So exactly. I, I was finding that melee three plus shock troops, as much as they're great, lawnmowers, they died too easily. So for me, the three magical items, which I will definitely have to think twice before leaving home, would be inspiring talisman. It's going to be on something. Brewer strength and potion of the caterpillar. And to me, those are those are the three must have magical artifacts in my army. I would agree. I, I mean, I think Pathfinder is definitely a must-have on at least one unit. You want to be able to double-tap a unit uh, through a forest uh, late game or something like that. For me, personally, I, I think I never leave home without the Diadem of Dragonkind on a Swarm Crier. I think that's an awesome combo. Just being able to drop uh, all that breath is really nice. Uh, Inspiring Talisman's a big one. Banner of the Griffin, if you want to keep stacking your rally, although I do find that does that does get a little redundant sometimes. But other than that, you know, I, I toyed around with for a little while, putting one with Vicious, one with Elite on your Blight Hordes is pretty cool. But yeah, Brew of Strength, Brew of Sharpness. And if you have the points, here's the thing about Ratkin, though. Uh, if you have 60 free points, it's almost always better spent on, a, uh, on another Slave Regiment. I think you could easily run this army with no magic items and be exactly. successful. I say put as many bodies as you can in there, and if you have some wiggle room, then maybe start to look at magic items after that. I yep. just quickly looked at my master's list. I only spent 80 points on magical items. I gave each, I, fire oil was my third, my third group of shock troops had fire oil for five points, mm-hmm. just because I had five points. Mace of Crushing and Blade of Slashing are two other magical items, which I like. Especially in those cheap heroes. Yeah. I think I had Brutal on one of my Blade Hordes, just because, you know, I had some extra points. The key is to keep everything as cheap as possible, so you don't cry when you when they die. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Stick with the theme. Yeah. Don't cry when they die. Just remember that. So let's talk about strategies for playing against this army. Rather than and breaking down each individual army you can play against, let's group them together. Let's start with Malay armies. Guys, how do you win against Malay armies in Kings of War? For me, this kind of breaks it down. There's two types of melee armies, right? There's ones that bring lots of attacks, and then there's others that bring fewer attacks, but they're higher quality, right? Big crushing strength, big thunderous, whatever. They always hit on threes. I would rather face those armies that don't have the volume of attacks because it takes so much longer for them to chew through your units. Um, I think the armies that like Abyssals and Varenger are the difficult ones for Ratkin because they have enough attacks that they have a decent shot of one shotting a slave horde with all those attacks between things like Succubi, Mounted Sons. Um, all, all, almost all the units in the Varenger can bring enough attacks to bear to one shot a, a horde of slaves or even a horde of shock troops. So they're challenging. So that in those cases, that's where I want to delay the army. I want to make them fight through terrain. I don't want to allow them to get combo charges. I want to be able to set them up with your chaff and make sure that they're hitting something that's garbage first so you can get the, the first decent counter strike in. What do you guys think? That's that's pretty much the game, right? Is uh, throw those expendable units out there, block charges, don't let anything double charge you if you can help it. Focus fire your shooting to take out the biggest threat you can early on. It's only going to save you heartache later. Pretty much it. Just just chaff up stuff. Make sure you don't take double charges, I would say. That's interesting, Josh. I, I do a different approach. I want to kill the enemy's chaff with my shooting to force his hammers to hit my chaff so I can get the counter strike. And, mm. and, 
I'm playing the uh, shock troops as my alpha strike list without the speed to be alpha strikes. So I need to have my slaves or my vermintide or whatever be that setup for the shock troops. Mm-hmm. So I do like playing out on melee armies. Unlike Corey, I don't really mind whether or not they have high number of attacks and low number of attacks. What concerns me is is their speed and flyers. Yeah, yeah flyers, flyers are a problem. Take and, that breath battery. Well, let's jump over to shooty armies. I know you guys have had lots of experience probably playing against goblins, and I've heard stories about Joey Greek and his salamanders. Well, Joey wants the shout out, so I will definitely give him <laughs> uh, give him props where due. For whatever reason, salamanders may be considered a weak list, but the vicious is an evil special rule to use against Ratkin. You already have low uh, defense to begin with, and whether or not it's Joey's salamanders, which I have great difficulties beating, or uh, the Twilight Kin, um, those are two armies that can shoot and give me problems because the shooting is compounded by the viciousness, uh, which means that everything that hits is a wound. I feel like the breath, anything that's heavy on breath weapons is actually more of a problem for Ratkin. I mean, if they're bringing Ratkin 40, 50 plus breath weapon attacks, that's a, that's a struggle. Um, normal shooting, I don't tend to have a problem with. I'm bringing enough bodies and enough nerve, and I've got enough fast elements that I can neutralize some of that pretty quickly. So things like elves, even goblin shooting or um, League Aurora halflings, that, that kind of stuff doesn't bother me too much. But the breath weapons, if somebody's bringing... Uh, like ogre shooting spam or even salamander breath weapons, something like that, or lots of breath weapon teams from like the elf army. That would be a different story. I would say the, the most dangerous shooting armies to face with, with Ratkin are probably the ones that bring the 50, 50, you know, like a good amount of shooting, but then like also flyers. I've, I've kind of struggled with like the lists where they have like a solid elf center that's just raining death on you with like dracons ready to pounce on you because they're putting enough pressure on you that you don't want your stuff to waver and get stuck on the other side of the board. But if you're not careful, you got these big clunky hordes that could probably take flanks and stuff that we're not super great at protecting against when a uh, flyer starts surrounding you when you're under pressure. So. So my only advice is run forward quickly. Right. Run forward, my rats. See, I kind of go the other way with that. I'll say if, if it's a scenario that's in my favor, I'll just hide all my stuff. Be like, I'll make them work to shoot me down, but I'll still have enough unit strength at the end that I can hold objectives. I, I can own the control if we're playing control or invade. If they're not going to advance with everything, which a lot of shooting armies probably won't get those shooting hordes across the board if I don't want them to, I might just hold up and say, I'm going to play this defensively and then move out late game, and I should still have enough enough to contest and win objectives in the end. Basically, just let your guys die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just let your guys die. Yep. I think you can win a game with Ratkin without killing a single opponent unit. Probably. It depends, though, because, Corey, how would you handle something like Jeff O'Neill's Goblins when that was a thing? I, I lost him in Invade because he had 30-plus unit strength, and by the time... I had finished my army setting up. He was just playing his regiments and he could set them all up on one half to move across the board. Um, you're a bit more unit strength than I am. Yeah, I think in my case, I have a different army, right? I have a lot of unit strength, a lot of yeah. drops too. So I could kind of go across the board and say, yeah, whoever gets there first is going to get over the board edge. And I've got, I've got blight and that's the, that's the tipping point. Well, let's touch on elite armies. I think this would be an area that you guys are pretty good against. I love fighting elite armies. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
it takes us a little more work to take down a unit, but once that unit goes down, we're like, oh, look, quarter of the work's done. Sweet. It's like a snowball you know? effect, right? Exactly. And and as they get weaker, you get stronger because you just have more stuff than them. You can just swarm them. Yeah, we talked about the drop game early on, dropping claw shots and weapons teams early. It just says, you don't even know where I'm deploying it and your whole army's down. Right. I love fighting elite armies. Um, my only concern going into 2019 is the Basileans, uh with their heavy flyers, lots of flyers, may cause me issues. Well, let's flip it on the other direction. Let's go with Horde armies or the mirror match. So this one I'll just touch base on. You can run into trouble with Ratkin if you're playing a Horde army has a similar amount of drops in unit strength as you because I'm sure Corey can attest to this. You You might struggle to kill enough to get through what you need to get through. Really, at that point, it just comes down to making sure that you get your hammers where you need them, and he's not doing the same. He's not giving you a taste of your own medicine by blocking you up with all his chaff, you know, feeding his chaff to your chaff and just causing a big gunky mess in the middle, I would say. I think those matchups are always close games, no matter what, because you're right, you can't kill enough of your opponent and vice versa. And again, that's where I think the blight really shines. Is in the yep. horde on horde matchup. It's like you're not going to kill the blight, and they will kill your trash. They kind of turn the tide towards you instead. I think. I think if you're playing the ratkin, the armies you want to see are melee, elite, and then you want to fight hordes or shooty. I think hordes and shooty armies are, are on the bottom half of what you want to see on the other side of the table. Okay. I, of course, have had problems against Corey with his his. Trash meta, horde, ratkin list. What are some universal tips for playing against the ratkin? Don't kill chaff you don't have to, right? A lot of the times, all those big giant slave walls, uh, slave regiments and stuff like that. If you if you run in and, and you know, you're playing exactly into my plan. If you run in and you smack that slave regiment right out of the way, because now you're opening up the lanes for my shock troops and my blight to get in and just make a mess of things. But I've had a lot of... Um, I've had some opponents who who have smartly not killed the chaff. And then what happens is the slaves get stuck and I can't get my hammers in. So I would say play the gum up game and be careful about what you kill. If you kill, you want to be able to leave a unit that's going to cause a traffic jam alive. Yeah, I think the other big thing, and it kind of goes along with that, is play the scenario because that's what the Rackin player is going to do. They're not going to worry about killing your army because they can win the scenario without doing it. You got to figure out what you need to do and do just that to win the scenario. Don't you don't have to kill all the slaves. You don't have to kill the shock troops. You can still win the scenario without doing any of that. I would argue that the key to playing against Ratkin is to get the Ratkin to spread out to play the whole board. You're not going to outdrop the Ratkin. But you need to make sure that the rat can have to defend against the entire length of the table because they probably can't do that and be fully rallied and be powered up. Once you get them spread out, you can pick a point, break it, and then you have the flank options available to you. And once you get in the flanks, you'll begin eating the Ratkin hordes. And the Ratkins ha- uh, take a long time to respond to any break in their lines. That would be how I would play against Ratkin. Get them to spread out as much as possible. Make a break. Get the flanks. To kind of piggyback on that, Ray, I would say if you can, stick them with the table edge that's got the piece of blocking terrain in the middle. Right. Or got the piece of blocking terrain that's going to basically break their army up into two lines, essentially, instead of being able to be all clustered together, that ball maneuver I was talking about, where everything's all balled up in the center. That's what I want to do. 
But if you stick me on the side of the table that's got the blocking terrain in the middle, well, now I have to split my army, and we don't love to do that. No, no. And, and, and if you can get a flyer, a flying dragon, or even a, a medium flying unit in the rear of a, a Skaven or a Ratkin army, that's big trouble. Because, I mean, yep. like I said earlier, they can't respond to that without the breath weapon team. So if you're able to get back there and be safe, that's a, that's a big win. And snipe the weapon teams before you get there. No, even if you can be there and be outside of 18, if you can get back, it might be worthwhile to trade a dragon for a shock troop horde or whatever. Because if you hit a shock troop horde or something like that in the back, the blight don't have ensnare, the shock troops are good. Right. Whatever you hit is going to die. And that might be worth the trade because as soon as you begin opening up the holes in the Ratkin line, uh-huh. it just falls apart. The house of cards comes down. That's it. Well, let's touch on allies. First of all, is this an army that needs allies? And if so, what do you take? Mounted sons are the best allies. <laughs> Hands down. <laughs> Ratkins don't need allies. They definitely don't need them, right? But I, I enjoyed having the two fast hammer units that were self-sufficient. So when somebody does eventually crash upon the waves of slaves or blight, you have something that's going to flank them and hit them in the flank. And that keeps people off of your flanks as well. So I kind of liked having that fast element, but now with tunnel runners being a thing, probably not necessary to have allies anymore. Yeah, I agree. When I was doing it, I was kind of, you know, messing around with bringing in fiends. I thought about doing the, uh, the mounted suns thing, maybe a void lurker in there to get some flying. We always needed the speed. And now in 2019, we have the speed. So allies really aren't as necessary as they were before. If you really wanted to like double down on the shooting, but again, with nightmares now, now we have a short range shooting, but you could always ally in some crossbows from kin or some chariots. I mean, they're never not going to be a good investment. If you really wanted to double down on the shooting, we don't really have any long range line shooting. And that's a good way to go too. Yeah. I kind of like the idea of two tortured soul hordes because height two flying nimble guys kind of in your back lines waiting to hop over your height one front line and flank somebody is also a fun little trick to throw out there. I'm Shannon Shoemaker, 2019 U.S. Masters Mr. Paragon, and you're listening to Counter Charge. Well, let's touch on a few listener questions. Matthew Temple asks, in all seriousness, how do you make a Ratkin army compensate for its overall low defense? More rats. Nerve, nerve, nerve. <laughs> David Reed asks, how to make a non-shock troop list. Okay, so I guess raise out. How would they build a themed Old Hammer clan Eshin list? I don't think you can do Eshin, but you can do Blight. You sure can. Yep. Eshin would be hard because you can't, you can't you, you, there's no like regular unlock units that kind of fit that mold. But you can do shooting. You can do a, a shooting Skyers themed army. So you certainly could do those too. Actually, could you do a lab rat formation and then do this Skyer to get the, uh, do a double formation list with the uh, lab rats and the assassin and then sure. run shooting? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I think you'd have to, I mean, you'd have to roll in that, that tunnel scurriers formation, I think. Would that be would certainly be. That would certainly be the hardest one to do, I think, for sure. Yeah. Steve Hildrew asks, Tunnel Runners, Night Terrors, and Nightmares, which I don't like, but hey, make high point cost, fast punchy units much more realistic for rats. This can lead to much more elite builds going against the grain of the typical horde approaches. Do you think this can be competitive? Uh, you see, basically, what he's saying is, if the whole point of the army is to put a lot of bodies on there, is it wise to put these other guys on there they are going to cost a little bit more? I think they bring new tools to the list, and I don't think just because we have tunnel runners or night terrors you throw away the fact that our strength is in numbers i think it just adds more tools to your box and maybe um instead of taking you know four hordes of shock troops you take 
two hordes of slaves and two hordes of shock troops and use the extra points to, you know, add some of the new toys. I think we'll start to see those this year, and I'm interested to see how they do. I think they can be good with the right amount of support elements in there, enough other enough enough other drops to kind of make that uh, fast army kind of work because Josh kind of pointed out there's other armies that do the Alpha Strike Elite Army better, but we can bring more unit strength to the board still. I'm looking forward to seeing how it works. Um, I'm not necessarily sold on it at this point in time, uh, but I'm able to be convinced that I'm wrong very easily. Jake Cherapika asks, how could you play the Rack game with one or less shock troop hordes? It worked for me at Unplugged. I took just one shock troop horde and then two blight hordes. So is the answer you got to be Corey Reynolds? I would say shock troops or blight, but never neither. That's what I would say. His follow-up question is, are warriors viable? Uh, and I guess, Ray, my question to you is, are they viable if you take the formation? No. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're okay if you take the formation, but you can't make a battle line with them, even in the formation. If there would be one unit I could change, it would probably be warriors to make them melee four plus. Um <laughs> for 165 points and that would at least make them an option which we would discuss and say could you make a warrior line but as they are right now melee five plus all they can do is act as a speed bump they, they will not put out the damage required to, to to make to make a list i agree i don't mind them with the lab rats formation i think you can certainly do better within the list but do think that they're fine with but, the lab rats could you, could you make a an army out of warriors Oh, out of all warriors? Yes. No. Yeah, no. You yeah, need blight or shock troops. They right. They can't be the core you're right. Blight shock troops or tunnel runners. Alex Chavez asks, claw shots or breath weapons? Both, yeah, Alex. Alex. <laughs> <laughs> three and three. Matt Frentz asks, non-GW appropriate models. And we kind of hit it on this earlier. Mantic has all the, uh, the dead zone stuff. I actually, this black tree miniatures, I got a couple of my alternate Giselle models off of. I don't love them. They're not the greatest models, but they're a lot cheaper than the secondhand eBay Giselles. So that's where I went for those. Other than that, you know, like were rats. I'm sure Reaper makes a ton of were rats and things like things of that nature. Yeah, there's not a ton. There's not a ton of options outside of Games Workshop. Right. The one I would mention there is a Windmaster miniatures. They've got some um, character rats. And I think they even have some small skirmishy unit type wraps. Like they have some some snipers and some, I guess, which would would be equivalent to Globideers. Yep. And I think Mom Miniatures they also have a rat line too, Mom Miniatures. So if um, anybody is really looking for something different, I have a thousand of the old 5th edition Skaven Clan rats. No, oh, there you go. <laughs> Alex Kusa's army, all old hammer. That's awesome. I was uh, on a lot of After Darks with him painting and it takes dedication to paint that kind of army. I moved his toad at Orktown, and, uh, and I broke a sweat. So <laughs> it's pretty funny. How does everyone see contrast paints affecting the ability to get a Ratkin army produced? I think it'll be a huge boon for anybody trying to paint up hundreds of rats. I think yeah, they're gonna. It's definitely gonna speed up painting for sure in general, and kind of kind of just be like a nicer form of dipping. I think. And, yeah, I mean, it took me years to get my. Reckon Army ready for her games. Tom Annis asks, what kind of personality do you have to possess to want to model and play an entire army of disgusting rats? Have you met any of the three of us, bruh? <laughs> <laughs> Speaks for itself. <laughs> it really does. Fair point. And follow-up question for me is, you know, so why don't each of you just touch on why do you play this army? Yeah, I mean, for me, this is exactly the style of army that I always envisioned Ratkin being. Or Skaven back in the Warhammer days, just hordes and hordes of troops, and they all die. But you're still gonna you're still gonna win based on 
achieving scenarios through the game. And it's not necessarily about outkilling your opponent. It's a much more subtle game that you're trying to play with the Ratkin, at least the, the Horde style. And one of the big thing, one of the big reasons that I was excited to bring Ratkin out for Kings of War was the multi-basing, right? Back in the Warhammer days, plucking off hundreds of individual models every game because they all died in Warhammer 2. And then putting them back on the movement trace was a miserable experience. <laughs> so <laughs> when I had when I saw the opportunity to say, I'm going to multi-base all of this and never have to pull off an individual rat again, it just called to me. <laughs> I was so excited. For me, it was, I just wanted to play ranks and flanks. Uh, that's one of the key draws of Kings of War. And the idea that you can have a complete army, you can have your skirmishers, you can have a main line, you can have a reserve. There's not many armies you can actually do that with in Kings of War. The rats play like an army. You have your units, you have your shooting, and at the end of the day, you don't mind losing because you can just say they're rats and life is good. For me, a big draw to playing Skaven originally was... Um... Just that, like I told, like I said before, that pinky in the brain kind of diabolical mad scientist kind of thing they got going on. In eighth, I knew Clan Mulder was the worst one, but like just having Frankenstein rat ogres and uh, you know giant rats and all these herders and stuff. So I, I really just got drawn to that kind of like laboratory idea that they're just like these they're experimenting with this weird warp stone and everything. So when I came over to Kings. Uh, I had an, uh, I had the ability, I had most of my army painted already. And I just, I had this vision of like this lab, you know, <laughs> like I just wanted to have scaffolding and, and like poisonous pools and, and just these big hulking deformed monsters. I think I really nailed it and multi-basing really allowed me to just make all this scaffolding with like all these rats climbing around it. And I just had a blast modeling it. It did help coming into King's War that I had most of the army painted already. I don't know that I could paint another horde army now. Over the course of, you know, three, four, five years, I'm, I'm up to about four, maybe about 4,500 points worth of painted rats. It's just awesome, you know, like the, just to see this like lab that I'm creating just keep expanding with all these weird, bizarre creatures uh, is really right. inspired. And Josh and I still have a, a dream scenario here where <laughs> we both put down 5,000 points of rats on the table across from each other yeah. and, and just have a, a good Friday night game at some GT. Is the Ratkin army new player friendly? I'm going to say no. But <laughs> go ahead, Ray. Uh, I played in a tournament in November, October of last year, and it was the final uh, tournament of the season in the Mid-Atlantic. We had one person playing as the ringer. And I was playing as my French. So I brought the Ratkins and I said, this is how you set up my list. This is what everything does in terms of how many dice you roll. Um, I'm not sure how many games Robin had played before. But in the next one-day tournament, she ended the three games. She had won two. And Alex Chavez was playing her in the third game and was one dice roll away from losing. Meanwhile, I came in last place 10th of 10 with my french <laughs> so i would argue that at least my version of the rats and the way i play them can be laid out to be new person friendly based upon that experience is that because there's just so much redundancy that you lose a unit you lose two units doesn't matter uh, absolutely and it's the setup that's key so once you say this is your setup and off you go the army kind of works 
And over to you, Josh, you say no. Is it because of the number of bodies they got to paint? Or I think that what Ray is saying is, is correct. I think that you can probably learn how to play the army itself really easily. Uh, the reason I say it's not new player friendly are for two reasons. They're mostly modeling. And, and one is, of course, the volume of models you need to paint to get your first army going. And um, I always try to tell people, like, uh, you just want to... You want to get it done quick so that you can play and then and then make your masterpiece the second army you do. You know what I mean? So uh, and then secondly, Mantic doesn't make the models for Rackin. And if Edge of the Abyss was any indicator going forward, it's more likely that the Mantic armies are going to be supported than the Uncharted Empire armies. So for those of us like me and Corey, you know, like who 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 had 8th edition Skaven kicking around and like we could just throw an army together. That's great. But now to buy a new GW, you know, a whole bunch of GW models only to like maybe later in the future not be able to use them or maybe they don't get the same support the other factions get going forward. I always try to caution new players to try to pick one of the Mantic armies to start with. That's good advice. Josh literally hit every point I would have said. I mean, I think it is a, a daunting task for a new player to take on to try and do spin up a Rackin army and because it's not, there's not a ton of Mantic models for it, I think it's even harder at that point. Plus the play style, it's hard to maneuver that many units and the, the complexities of moving hordes around each other. That can get tricky. Josh, those are excellent points as to why you should not play Ratkin. Is, is modeling more than anything else? We got one more thing. What we want you guys to do is you're going to share with us a list. Doesn't matter what size. Just give us a list. Uh, tell us the point size, what event you ran it at. Kind of walk us through it. I'll do mine first. So this is the list that I took to Unplugged this past spring. And so it was two hordes of slaves, three regiments of slaves, one horde of shock troops with the Brewer's Strang, two hordes of light naked, and then three claw shots, three breath weapon teams, and then two regiments of mounted sons uh, with no gifts. And that was uh, 1995 points. How did it fare? That did very well. It was my only loss. It was Josh's only loss. <laughs> Josh grudged me round one, and it was a great game. Uh, it was close, too. A narrow victory big. for me, but that was the, the beginning of my uh, victory there at Unplugged. So that was first place. And again, in that tournament... I lost the attrition battle on three out of my four games. <laughs> and I actually, I won one great game against Chris Pelletier where I killed one unit of his the entire game. That's awesome. <laughs> Still win. I'll just read off my, uh, my master's list. I, re- I ran this year. The points were 2250. So I start off with three regiments of slaves. I had a shock troop horde with the potion of the caterpillar. I had a shock troop horde with the fog. I had two hordes of blight, one with the brew of strength, one with Kevinar's flying hammer, because that was a joke. <laughs> then we had three troops of claw shots, one with the piercing arrow, one regiment of vermintide. I had three weapon teams with piercing, one death engine, blight lord with bane chant three, one warlock with bane chant three and the inspiring talisman. And the Swarm Crier with the Diadem of Dragonkind for 2250. How did it fare? It didn't do so great at Masters. I kind of got, my hordes got really gummed up. I know, you know, Corey's kind of chuckling to himself because he his army's like twice the size of mine and he did ultimately <laughs> better than mine. I don't know if I just got unlucky draws on, on tables or whatever, but it really, really crammed up by, by blocking terrain to the point where it really 
you know, I really felt like the terrain didn't let me play the game two or three of, of my six games at Masters. That was a little disappointing. But other than that, it played the way I wanted it to. It was kind of like a different style than what I'm used to. I dropped the Demon Spawn recently, picked up more uh, Four Hordes. It was fun, but definitely not the most competitive list, I guess. Just kind of what I had, but it's pretty. (laughs) Yeah, where did you finish the best painted? I got third player's choice, and I think, if I remember correctly, I was in the top 10 for painting in the room, if I remember correctly. Ray, you have a, a fantastic list to share with the audience? So I have my 2150 list that I brought to TNT last year, which has a lot of the elements that neither Corey nor Josh has. It has two regiments of warriors, a horde of warriors, three hordes of shock troops, one with brewer strength, one with potion of the caterpillar, a horde of brutes, two regiments of vermintide, two mounted enforcers, one with slashing, one with crushing, two warlocks, each with bane chant, a swarm crier with Kevnar's flying hammer, because I wanted to use it, and the demon spawn with fly and speed 10. And of course, I had the lab rat formation. It ended up actually second place. So despite having the lab rat formation, brutes, and, and things that you wouldn't normally think of in a competitive uh, ratkin list, it was able to put out the damage and, and to do the job that needed to get done. One final question for you guys. Is there a points level that you think ratkin work best at? I think the, the larger the points level, once you get to like 2300 or up, it kind of loses some of its effectiveness because then other people are able to bring more units as well. And at some point in a Ratkin army, bringing more units and more stuff just becomes ultra redundant and doesn't add you that much more. But I think at the low points level, you're able to bring so much more stuff than your opponent, especially against elite armies, that I think it's even more effective. I would agree. Yep, also agree. Unplugged being 1995, I felt like I had a distinct advantage there just because other people weren't able to bring a lot of the same stuff. I would say 1750 because you need to get above the 1500 point in order to have the hordes to, to rally each other. So so there's definitely a lower level, whether it's 1500 or 1000, where below that your hordes, you, you don't have the hordes to give you rally, to give you uh, the buffs that the rat can need. And then above, say, 2,500, they don't perform as expected. I will correct myself. My list was actually 2,000 points. It wasn't 1995. That was a deficit. Unplugged was 2,000. Final thoughts, guys. I love playing Ratkin. I think, and and this podcast kind of shows it, there's a lot of different ways you can go about it. I think most of the units are viable. And that's what I really like about the list is that there's very few dogs in the whole list that I feel like I could take anything and make it work within the list and have a, a definitive role. And I really enjoy it. And I just like the idea of seeing a massed army of ranks and flanks sitting out there on the board. And that appeals to me. An army of chaff. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I agree. I think think playing Ratkin is awesome. It's super fun. You can get zany and goofy. Lots of laughs. Really ham up your characters and and make laser sounds as you're playing, which is also fun. (laughs) You know, and shoot it to death. You know, all kinds of stuff like that. And, you know, diabolical laughter is also clutch to getting good rolls just so just so everyone's clear so josh what are we going to do tonight the same same thing thing we do every night right (laughs) try to take over the world absolutely why wouldn't you play rackin 
because you don't want to paint 100 balls. I, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. If they're already painting, you have them. Definitely play Ratkin. If not, might not be the best choice. Yeah, don't play Ratkin. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's, that's a tough sell. Thanks for coming on. I know this has been a bit of a marathon, but I'm sure the audience is going to appreciate your tactical insight You know, in terms of army construction and unit choices and, and all that stuff. So thanks for coming on. Awesome. Thanks for having us on, Rob. Thanks, Thank Rob. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Till next time, keep countercharging. And we'll see you next time on... Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. And by the way, I'm not, I, I'm planning to have you guys run it. I'm just going to sit back and listen for most of it. If you guys want to do all the, from, from the whole unit by unit stuff, you guys are in charge. All right, then you're going to just strategically edit later on. Exactly, right, Rob? <laughs> exactly. Make, I'm going to make everybody sound brilliant.